0: Hello and welcome to Boss Store, the final threshold beyond which games must face their final and toughest opponent, the critical gaming public. My name's Ross and I'm here with my co host Joey, and today we're going to be talking about Death Stranding. Now, we have to talk about what happened last month. Hidetaki Miyazaki was here and he was going to give us the exclusive on Elden Ring, but due to a minor scheduling error that was nobody's fault, we had to gently ask him to leave the premises. Miyazaki, you gotta go. What? But Get out of here. I, Get six. You gotta I, go! go. <laughs>
1: I 16, 16 It took 32
2: hours to get here. I just Nobody I, cares how long it took I, it. I, I,
0: unfortunately, he did leave something behind. When we opened the door in the morning, we found his spine laying there on the ground. Because apparently this worm of a man went crawling to Jeff Keeley, of all people. The video games awards guy. Alright, if he had gone to E3, that'd be one thing. I get that. He's a busy man. But Jeff Keeley? No, that's an that is an insult. So our first order of business today is the announcement of Boss stores Blood War against Miyazaki personally. Miyazaki, if you want to end this Blood War, then I suggest you come back over here and we settle this like gamers. Fox and Falco, Final Destination, no items, you know.
2: Now that we've covered our completely real and not made up feud with Hidetaka Miyazaki. It
0: is real, it is real.
2: We can talk about what we came here to talk about, a series of fever dreams Sodeo Kojima had and turned into a video game. (laughs) You just escaped a nuclear void out because you touched a baby ghost. It's just super weird and abstract.
0: universe was like, fuck that, and decided to sort of do a death scramble. You have to trust Kojima for a while. Now that we're connected, we can all help each other. If there's a road here, it will help everyone. I brought you a
2: metaphor. The most impact any video game is ever going to have with So, similar to Detroit Become Human, we kind of have to talk about the creator of this game first, before we actually talk about the game. Now, Kojima is mostly known for making one series, which is the Metal
0: Gear series,
2: which I think most people are at least somewhat familiar with.
0: Or at least aware of. Yeah, I aware so. of. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't know what that series is about, but that's fair. I think They at least have a guessing idea what it. it's about in their wrong. I would argue most fans
2: don't know what that series is about. And yeah, that's kind of one of the appeals of Metal Gear. Not to get on you know, a side about Metal Gear, but it's one of those games where at first you start playing you're like, oh, it's like a traditional, you know, I'm like a, like a Tom Clancy spy game. And then like a cyborg ninja shows up and people like come back from the dead and possess people's arms. And you're like, what the fuck is this weird nonsense? Yeah. That is something Kojima does in his games in the sense that he makes you
0: have to accept a lot for you to follow what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, it can be really difficult to get into a Kojima game. Like, the Metal Gear series, I guess a little less so, because they're they're kind of more openly melodramatic. And this game is, but it's downplayed a lot, so you want to take it seriously, but you're like, this guy's named Die Hardman.
2: Well, I mean, I think Metal Gear has that shit too, except for the difference is you are just going around kind of like shooting and st- You're playing more traditional gameplay. Yeah. So you can just play the gameplay, and you're like, You know, maybe the Cyborg Ninja will make sense. Or maybe the fact that sometimes his arm possesses this guy's body will make sense. And for most people, the answer is, I guess it didn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it was a fun ride.
2: Now, I would say with both Metal Gear and this game, if you follow his own internal logic, he has explanations for all of his weird choices and all of his weird stuff. But when you first start Death Stranding, your number one thought probably is, wow, this looks beautiful. But then your second thought is, what the fuck is that? <laughs> About 15 times in the first one hour cutscene.
0: Yes. Yeah, the game has a lot going on up front and none of it is explainable or really even followable.
2: And a lot of it is because Kojima talks heavily in metaphors, somewhat explicitly so.
0: Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Kojima's stuff is like, it's, it's literal in the plot. And it's metaphorical for the message, so like a lot of a lot of things have multiple meanings, and it can be really, really difficult to understand anything that's going on sometimes until the entire game is finished,
2: yeah, I and mean, it definitely this game, even more so than his previous games, is really much, much, much more focused on thematic messages, kind of making your brain like go through philosophical thought experiments. Than you being like, well, how does this character relate to this character? Like, you know, any other game's plot would probably
0: be structured. Exactly. Yeah, this game should not be taken literally. And I think he does everything he can to, like, convey that you shouldn't be taking things literally. Because it's all so obviously abstract and strange. But I think... Probably like the graphics, the the hyper-realistic graphics working against the game, people want to take it more seriously than it should be.
2: This is what makes this story, for us and other reviewers, I think, so hard to analyze. Because everything that's traditionally good in a game that's considered having a good story just isn't really prevalent in the game. Like, all of the characters don't really talk that much to each other, and if they do, it's not really the point, and there isn't really relationships being built or anything like that. There isn't really, like, a lot of, like, big plot twist except for at the very end of the game, and most of the people don't even register what the plot twists
0: even are, right? Yeah. How, th- how this game operates, basically, is, like, the plot and the characters are props for the theme. For, well, for the various themes, right? They're, they're there because Kojima has something to say, and they're not really there to give you anything, like, truly coherent. He's not trying to tell a story. He's trying to convey an emotion, really. It's trying to convey a feeling, uh, and that can be really difficult to parse.
2: And for a lot of people who are playing this game, they're like, "Well, clearly this game is about something." They, I think, they get too lost in the details of you know the plot and the characters, and not so much on just the themes that are constantly brought up and are explored and examined and reexamined and recontextualized throughout the whole game.
0: So what we're going to do a little different in this cast is we're going to talk about the actual gameplay, the overview of the plot, we're not going to spoil anything right here at the beginning. We'll give you a spoiler warning. If you're just curious, because this game makes people curious and a lot of people look for reviews to see if they feel like they should play it, we're going to try to convince you that this game is more than a walking simulator. So the basic gameplay is you, are, you play Norman Reedus, who plays Sam Porter Bridges, who is a porter, for the company Bridges, the delivery company, your job is to deliver packages from one place to another. People put in orders, you take the packages, and you walk there. But it's not as simple as uh, what would actually be a walking simulator, something like like Firewatch or something. When you take an order, you have to you have to know where it's going obviously right but you have to kind of know where that place is and how you're going to get there those packages that you're carrying have weight and they all you have to stack them on your back or attach them to your suit like on your hips and your shoulders and things and you have a balance mechanic when you're walking that like sam can just kind of fall over and stumble all over the really uneven terrain and the point is that it is difficult to do it simulates walking in a way that's like that's difficult and challenging and interesting to actually experience. It's not just hold forward until you get to your destination. And it's not just that, because at at
2: the end of the day, you actually don't do that much walking in this game, because you get other means of transportation. You get vehicles, you later get zip lines. Basically, the later half of this game, I never touched the ground for almost any reason.
0: Yeah. Uh, most of, by, by the end of the game, especially if you get into like the, the post-game stuff, you probably have zip lines from coast to coast and you probably don't touch the ground for more th- more time than it takes to just pick up the packing.
2: And so I think there's two kind of like major pieces of the gameplay in terms of the actual you're bringing packages from point A to point B. One part of it is building an infrastructure which makes it easier, putting structures in place like like ladders and ropes and bridges and roads and zip lines that when you go back to that place You'll do it in fractions of the time. The other side of it is the first time you go to an area where there is no infrastructure, and that is usually when you're actually doing the "quote-unquote" walking simulator part that people complained about so much. But those are actually, in my opinion, in Ross's opinion, I believe, yeah. the funnest parts of the game because one, you you know, usually there's some sort of like minor danger that isn't. Super hard to escape, but you at least have to plan and there's some tension. But then usually when you get out of that, they'll play a song, usually by the same band, Low Roar. And the song is always beautiful. And the camera will pan out and show you, like, the beautiful terrain. And you have a moment to kind of consider what you're doing. Because in the game, you're aren't just delivering packages because you work for Bezos. (laughs) You're delivering packages because you're reconnecting the world that is kind of in a post-apocalyptic state, which we'll get to why in just a little bit.
0: Yeah, so the act of delivering a package plays into the, the overall theme of connection, of reconnection, of connection being almost the the highest level of like human achievement, that like connection is what matters in the world. And we'll talk about all that. It's not as sappy as it sounds. But the idea is that you're the man who delivers. People need things. People in this world are highly disconnected. Everybody's living in bunkers because the apocalypse happened, and you are their only connection with the outside. Like, you deliver a package to the Elder, and it's a pacemaker. Because he's going to die if you don't give it to him. And they don't tell you that. They just give you the package. And you show up and he's like, hey, thanks for delivering that pacemaker. I would have died without it. And these things these, these things you do, the things you deliver and the people you meet are meaningful. The, the journey itself is what's meaningful in this game. And I, I say without irony, walking in this game is my favorite part of the game. It's what draws me back. I've played this game three times now. My favorite part every time is the walking. Literally every time
2: I've talked to Ross about this game, when he's playing it, he goes, uh, man, I kind of wish there was more walking in this game, <laughs> which is what makes it so frustrating when you go on the internet and that's just kind of the one thing people say about it. Like, there is an element of death stranding that you might not be able to get get behind in the sense that everything is batshit crazy, and like the menus are bad, and there's a bunch, there's a bunch of little UI things that hinder the experience. That, and you might just want to come home after work and play a game where you like shoot people in the face. That's fine.
0: Yeah, you right. Don't get that in this game.
2: But what is fun in this game? And this is going to sound ridiculous. I feel like in some ways is you deliver a package to someone, they send you an email that explains something about them and why you helped them, and then as you go back to your previous destination, you consider the words that you read, and then someone urgently asks you to deliver a pizza. (laughs) The other part about traversing the train is there's kind of a unique multiplayer mechanic where you can never actually see other porters because it's a one-player game and you're all Sam. But... Structures you build in your world will appear in other players' worlds. Um, not all, not every player will get all of your structures, but there's little things that make it more likely for certain structures to appear in your world. That can help you. There'll become times where you're at like a big ass mountain and you're like, oh, "How do I get up there?" And someone has a bunch of signs that have arrows pointing to ropes, and, and you can just take the ropes up
0: that you didn't put up there yourself. And a big part of that system is the fact that you're delivering generally to what we call preppers, and they're people that are isolated in, like, Fallout bunkers, basically. And you're dragging behind you sort of what they call the chiral network. It's sort of a super high-speed fantasy internet thing. The Internet of the Dead. It's really hard to talk about this game. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it gets really high concept really quickly. But basically, you're you're sort of delivering a, a super internet that acts as a, a, the connecting strands... Between all the different places that comprise the UCA, the United Cities of America, which you're trying to build. The reason I I bring all this up is because these people have to be brought onto the network before you can see structures. Because structures are built with chiral printers, basically. It's a little thing you throw out and it prints a whole structure for you. And you can't do that if the person in the area is not on the network. And that's your goal. You go there and you bring them onto the network. So when you're going to someone, you don't have any structures and it's difficult to get there usually. You'll have to climb down mountains and things like that. You'll have to uh, use your own ropes and ladders and such. And then when they do come online, the map populates with a bunch of other people's structures. And everything just becomes easier. It's it's so nice when you're like, you're like, wow, that was a hard trek there. And it's an easy trek back. Because now that we're connected, we can all help each other. It's interesting, too, because in these emails you get from
2: certain preppers, sometimes they won't join the UCA. And they'll send you a whole message on... You know, why they want to remain independent. You know, why they don't want to be a part of this. Which, those sort of people do exist. Where they're like, well, I don't want to give up my autonomy or whatever. I want to be by myself and survive by yourself. And then the game kind of shows each one of those you can eventually, if you feel like it, convince them to join the UCA and become part of the community. And those little stories to show you the value in joining the community and how making a society together is the best chance for humanity to survive because in this world humanity does might not last that long based on the situation that they're in.
0: Yeah, and the preppers they're not they're not shown as like bad or misguided or anything. Like their reasons for not joining the UCA are good because they value their freedom, they value their independence and such. And then the only way you can convince them to join is by helping them, by showing them that the connections you bring are valuable in and of themselves, that we can all live better lives if everybody works together and helps out.
2: This is why I felt like we really needed to nip in the bud the whole walking simulator nonsense that so like everyone on the internet has collectively agreed to say that's what the whole game is. The game is fun for a lot of reasons, other than the game is just gorgeous throughout and they have all of these insanely
0: good musical beats that like make you feel things. Yeah, and let me try to sell this moment for you. You're Sam Bridges, you've got this huge load on your back it's weighing you down the whole time. Your stamina is dropping. You've just gotten out of a mule camp, and mules are people that like, try to steal your cargo. It's been a hard journey, and you, you crest this hill, and you see down at the bottom the place you're going to, your destination that you've, that you've been working towards for a, for a while, and the game sound slowly goes away, and the camera pans out, and this beautiful, wonderful, thoughtful track starts playing and it just lets you walk in the in the open without danger it's the game saying hey you did it you 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 delivered you did your job and it's and you get a moment to look at the terrain and look at everything around you and wonder about your journey and it's just it's a quiet contemplative moment that you don't get in games like ever and it's it's easily i think my favorite part about the game
2: and the game gives you tons of things to contemplate Like, so one complaint that, you know, it's easy to have is a lot of, like, flavor and messages and world building are in text-based messages that you receive.
0: Yeah, emails and interviews and such.
2: Yeah, but I want to be very clear. It's not like books in Skyrim. The things inside these emails, and more so interviews than emails, most of them tend to be very interesting, or at least something that gives you something to think about or literally something to talk with your friends about. There's a bunch of interviews where I'm like, you know, this is probably mumbo-jumbo science, but it makes you think. And just that ability to kind of like consider lots of different things about humanity, society, our bodies and souls. If anything in this game's gameplay is truly hinged on, it would be the philosophical themes. Even though that's kind of feels like it's part of the story, it's engaged in every activity you do is you kind of recontextualizing different questions the games are asking you. Like, what is the society? Like, what is the bare minimum of society? What is a soul? Like, these sorts of things that the game talks about and actually does so with care and nuance without devolving into, like, armchair philosophy. Yeah. The last thing I want to say about gameplay for a while is also it is fun to build the infrastructure of your world there gets a point where you kind of unlock most of the places that you will be going. And then you try to connect them through a transportation system. And it's, which is usually zip lines, but it's fun to plan around. And then when you're done and you complete your pathways, you're like, I can get from anywhere to anywhere at any time. And you feel like you've actually connected everyone. And it goes with the theme of the game, but it's also fun to do. Even though at the end, when you finish your infrastructure, you kind of just press X every thirty seconds <laughs> yeah. as you watch your character fly from one place to the other.
0: Yeah, zip lines aren't my favorite thing, but they're far and away the the most impactful structure you'll build. It really scratches the Minecraft itch of a lot of people's
2: brains, where it's you know you're planning, you're gathering resources, you're building the world in the way that you want it to look. It's not quite the same in my as Minecraft, obviously, because you're not just building whatever you want, but Your world looks distinct to you because
0: of the way you planned around it. Yeah. So if that sounds interesting to you, please go play the game ahead of time. Because we're... This is a full-on spoiler warning now. We can't really talk about anything else without without starting to spoil things. So, if you're interested, please go play it. Important to the world that we've created for Death
2: Stranding, I think it's important for the players to consider... Roughly the last four to five years of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, more than that, maybe. Yeah. This game is built off of this sort of existential dread that we as Americans have felt,
0: into the whole world,
2: have yeah. uh, felt for any number of
0: reasons. <laughs> <laughs> we as Americans may have imparted that sense to the rest yeah. of the world. But the the Death Stranding, which is the apocalypse that happens in this world, is equated with something like 9 11, where like the world changes and everything's not the same anymore. The ways in which we interact, both personally and globally, have to change. And Kojima couldn't even fathom like what the next
2: that would be. Unfortunately, it came out about six months after the game came out, <laughs> yeah. and then COVID dropped its new album.
0: Yeah, this, this game uh, is a real metaphor for COVID, but it wasn't intended that way. It, it was made before COVID. So at least to me, it's pretty obvious that
2: Hideo Kojima is kind of putting down his emotions into a video game about how he just feels existing in this kind of two-minutes-to-doomsday world that it feels like we live in. But a thing he chooses, which I think is interesting, is when they first talk about the Death Stranding, the thing that causes this apocalypse, it on its surface doesn't seem to be man-made. It just seems random. They say that at one point, basically, void-outs, which more or less just resemble a nuclear explosion in terms of the damage it does. Happens all over the world, and then ghosts just show up everywhere. And now we're in this society.
0: Yeah, now everybody in the world is scattered into bunkers. Cities are maybe like 40,000 people, like that's a big city at this point, and they're all living underground in basically fallout shelters. Because if you go outside, the rain makes you age and there are ghosts everywhere that will take you and destroy your soul and 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 create a nuclear explosion when yeah and eat and, you. and bomb the entire area around you and the point like that sounds like sci fi nonsense and in a literal sense it is, but in the metaphorical sense it's it's very it's very interesting. The outside world is hostile, and everyone has become fully disconnected from everybody else. You as Sam Porter bridges need to go out there and brave the dangerous wilds. To reconnect America.
2: And again, this goes with one of the first things we said is, you have to trust Kojima for a while. Because the game starts and you see it's raining and then birds are just dying. And then you see the ghosts are invisible to everyone. So you just see handprints forming on the floor as
0: they crawl over to Sam in the first cutscene.
2: And if you're the average person, you're like, what the fuck is this?
0: Yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's like a teleporting woman that shows up and you... It's just nonsense. It's evocative. You're like, I'm, I'm kind of in.
2: Yeah, but it looks sweet. It's interesting. You're like, I, you know, I don't know where it's going, and I think I'll
0: know soon. Yeah, that would be incorrect assumption, but you'll know at some point. <laughs> yeah, but this, this weird teleporting French lady is holding like a, a like a floating tardigrade, and she goes, a crypto day keeps the time fall away, and then she eats this nasty bug, and you're like, I don't know what's happening. It's do you really think me or your audience knows what a tardigrade is? Sorry, I expect better. I want to know what a tardigrade is. Please <laughs> tell me what a tardigrade is. Tardigrade They're 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 cryptobionts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they can't see cryptobiotes!
0: Tardigrades they're known as water bears. They're little little—they're little microscopic um animals. They have like six legs. They can survive in like any uh thing. They they can survive in the vacuum of space because they go into a state called cryptobiosis, in which they uh, basically cease living for a while. And then when things calm down around them, and the and the the, a- the area is uh, once again livable, they just become alive again.
2: That's very interesting with the themes of the game, and I wish you ever mentioned that to me.
0: Oh, sorry, I thought it was obvious. <laughs> you can't see my shit-eating grin.
2: Yeah, Jesus Christ.
0: Um... <laughs> okay, <and> I... <laughs> Crypto in the game live between life and death. They, they can live anywhere. They live, like, in the seam, which is the space between life and death. And the idea, the, the plot of the game is the Death Stranding is literally death. The world of death has collided with the world of life, and everything is jumbled up in the middle. Yeah. Like, everyone in this world knows what the afterlife
2: is. It just happens to be a beach. Which, again, is another Kojima thing. You're just like, okay, when you die, you just go to a beach Later, you kind of figure out the beach is just a lobby for the actual death place that you don't actually see. Yeah, But whenever people die, they just wake up on a beach, which is super weird. Yeah, it's it's weird, like, knowing there's an afterlife. And it's kind of interesting, not to go too much into this because obvious reasons, but like, there seems to be no religion
0: in this world, because they kind of understand what the afterlife is. Yeah, all gods kind of die when the apocalypse happens. Now, an interesting thing happens in this game when someone dies. It's called a void out. And the technical explanation in the game is that your matter is colliding with the antimatter of what they call the BT, stands for beached things. So when you're grabbed by, by a ghost, they make you fight sort of a mini boss. And it's this Lovecraftian horror from the death realm. And if it eats you, your matter collides with the antimatter inside it and it creates a basically a nuclear explosion. You
2: know, normal delivery stuff.
0: Yeah, you know. Uh, a Kojima game. So it wipes out everything around you and that's how the world was destroyed. Is this just kind of happened suddenly and nobody knew what to do and they didn't know they couldn't die or that they're not allowed to die without killing everyone around them. And so one, it's that's metal as hell. That's so cool, right? And two, it is extremely poetically interesting because it's positing this idea that no one in this world is allowed to die alone. That no one in this world is allowed to die without being cared for. What you have to do is, if you, if there is a dead body, you have to incinerate it, or it destroys everything around it. And and whenever you, wherever incinerators are, it fills the
2: sky with Corellium, which yada yada science makes more ghosts happen. Yeah, there's a lot of
0: ghosts around there and stuff. So, so to bring their body to the incinerator is dangerous. Yeah, it, it's a dangerous trek, but it's this. Uh, it, it's this idea that anyone that dies alone, especially like if you're in a city or something, right? This is why the preppers all live alone and, and such. But like if you're living in a city, you can't you can't have a, a a world of today where like nobody knows their neighbor because if your neighbor dies in their house and you don't know, you're dead too. You and everyone, your family, the whole city is gone because one person wasn't taken care of. And this is true of your enemies too, right? There's there's terrorists in the game that will try to kill you because they're monsters. But you can't kill them back. Because if you kill them back, they represent an existential threat to everything and everyone around them now. Even your enemies, you have to take their bodies and have them incinerated. It's, it's a form of like giving rights to the dead. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement. This only happens to humans, too. It's an acknowledgement that these people are human. Right? That they're your neighbors, they're your enemies, they're your friends and your family. And no matter what, nobody in this world gets to die alone. Nobody gets left behind, because we have to be connected. Because a lack of connection becomes a truly existential threat to survival of the human race. And it makes and so like the first cutscene kind of addresses the, not the actual first cutscene,
2: but the first major cutscene, the first real major cutscene where stuff starts to get explained. If you dispose a body, and the main character Sam, you know, asked how does he died, and he said suicide. And you, it, you know, it's an interesting thing where it's killing yourself in this world is kind of dooming everyone around you. He even says like we're lucky to even found the body.
0: Yeah, but they also talk about there being like an epidemic of depression in this hugely disconnected world, right? Like uh, a lot of your deliveries are like delivering oxytocin so that people can just feel happy. And what this says is is it's not that like you're wrong to commit suicide, it's that suicide is a real problem that it should be taken care of and that like you can't allow someone to get So depressed and so alone and so disconnected that they kill themselves. You can't have it. This isn't a world where you can allow that. So like, everybody has to be taken care of by everybody. To have someone die alone and uncared for is an absolute failure of the society around them that will destroy them utterly, right? And it is a dramatic message for the world that we live in today, where people feel more disconnected than ever. The second, the game starts. You're already asking yourself like, heavy questions <laughs>
2: yeah. about the world. You know, there's a weight to this world. You, uh,
0: yeah, They bring you a they bring you a body, and they say this person commit, committed suicide, and they are about to explode. We have to we have to deal with that. And yeah.
2: as you deal with the body in the first cutscene, the person you're going with, Igor. You know, you watch die horrifically in front of the Lovecraftian horror monsters. Yeah, you
0: get caught by the BTs and There's a
2: giant with a hand for a head. Oh, it's
0: it's it's amazing. Like I mean you have to you have to see it you can just look up the cutscene on YouTube or something, but yeah, basically the, these this Lovecraftian monstrosity eats his soul and creates a void. As arc. he's like
2: trying to kill him, like he's literally stabbing himself if they pull him up into yeah, the air.
0: People would rather die than get eaten by the BTs.
2: But at the end, you watch this character you just met die. But you don't really have like a connection to him yet, in a sense. Because all you were doing was logistics. And he he felt like he was you know, your classic red shirt from a sci-fi, just there to die. But the first mission you do is you have to take a body, which we'll get over what the body is, up to an incinerator by yourself. And as you're doing that, uh, that was Igor's job, the guy you just watched died. And on your way up to the incinerator, you see ladders and ropes he put to make the quest, you know, easier. And on the ladder, it says his name that, you know, Igor made it. And, you know, for me personally, that's the time that I felt connected to Igor. Is like, wow, he died, but, like, he left behind something that is helping me in
0: my quest right now. Yeah, to do the same job that he would have been doing. You know, you're walking in Igor's footsteps. He's not there, but his impact. Is remains and later you meet his brother too and you get to talk you get to talk about igor
2: yeah there's lots of little stuff like it's such that the game does a lot where it feels like all the major characters even though they have a decent amount of screen time don't get a lot of depth but there seems to be a weird amount of depth in characters who don't even have actual like character models they use yeah uh you get interviews where igor talks about how actually he's much younger than he looks but his job brought him into the time fall all the time the rain that ages everything and now he looks way older And then you have Victor talking about, I didn't ever even really think about my brother that much. Maybe, like, once every three weeks. And now that he's dead, I think about him all the time. And just little stuff like that that, like, really adds, like, kind of substantive flavor to the world, to the people, to what it's like existing in the world, in really interesting ways. Where they can take a character that they use objectively, not a lot of screen time, and you're thinking about them at the end of the game. Like the last scene of the game, you go back to that same incinerator and you're still going over Igor's stuff and you're reflecting over what this guy's life helped you on your journey. And I think it really speaks powerfully to the way they incorporate the themes of the game into the gameplay so well. We're not really trying to go through this game scene by scene, and that would be impossible because... There's not enough time in the world. It's also a very front-loaded and back-loaded game. But the first hour of this game, I feel like... You know, everything is kind of like weirdly beautiful and interesting. But then you get your first moment of Kujima's a batshit crazy person, for lack of a
0: better term. You wake up handcuffed to the bed and a man who looks like he's been stitched together shows up and says the president wants to talk to you. And you're like, who's the president? He's like, don't worry about it. Turns out it's your mom, who you don't know anymore, who is apparently the president of a country you don't know exists anymore and she wants to talk to you for some reason. And that reason is she's gonna die, and she needs you to follow your maybe sister across the country to rebuild America. That's just the setup. Also, there's a guy named Die Hardman
2: with a weird fucking skull mask on in the middle of it. Excuse me.
0: Vice President Die Hardman. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet a few characters, you you meet you meet Fragile in the in the cave. Um, you meet Deadman, who is the the Frankenstein person, you meet Die Hardman, and then you watch your mom die. You watch her Dramatically mo- <laughs> And then Deadman and Die Hardman tell you you have to carry your mom's body up the hill to the incinerator. Uh because the corpse disposal team, which was headed up by Igor, suddenly died recently.
2: Also it's a binding contract, cause as your mom died, or as Sam's mom died, she crawls out of the bed grabs your hand that's covered in the weird black BT goo and they're like, there's an imprint of her hand on your hand. That's a handshake. You are, That's a binding agreement, which I hope that's not how that works in the real world. If I get anyone to shake my hand, do they work for
0: me now? Yes. That's how Amazon gets all its employees. That's why I have to do this podcast. Damn you, Ross! And that is what happened. I tricked him. And so obviously this is this is a wild setup. You're like, oh, your mom president told you to go find your sister across the across the country and reconnect all of America. Like, what a weird setup. But the plot is less relevant over to the overall themes of the game. What happens is they, they put your mom's body all wrapped up like a mummy, basically. They put it on your back and they say, take her up the hill, take her to the incinerator. You're the only one that can do it. And I thought this was wonderful the first time I played it. There's a little tutorial message that pops up that says like, bodies uh, tend to shift around more than other cargo. And I always poeticize that in my head saying, human bodies, the living or the dead, do not sit comfortably on your back. They are the hardest cargo by far to carry. And they take up a lot of space. You can't carry other things. The weight of the corpse on your back is supposed to be a reminder of the extremely sober thing that you're doing. This person is dead and you are bringing them to their last deliverance. And this is the first time the game does
2: the really cool gameplay thing they do. They'll pick a beautiful song, and the camera will pan back, and all the scenery looks gorgeous, and you know you're safe. There's no chance while a song is playing that terrorists are just going to show up and be like, get him! You can just have that moment where you kind of, you let yourself think about carrying this dead body Who's your mom slash the president up the hill? God damn it! You're so goddamn weird, Kojima.
0: It it is weird, but right they they front load you with all this information, and they just kind of kick you out the door with your mom's body on your back, and then the second you walk outside, the camera just pans out, and the music starts playing, and you're just left alone with your thoughts as you like cross Igor's little ladder bridges, and they it's just it's Kojima just asking you, hey, just think about what you're doing, just think about what's going on here, you know, just take a moment. To understand your situation. And I think it sells the game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I th- I was completely sold. So this is the first time you get to use your controller, really, in the game. It, there's just a little bit of gameplay before this, but most Kojima games, you're not going to touch your controller for a couple of hours at the beginning, and probably many hours at the end. But basically, they let you walk around, they give you orders, and you take deliveries to different places, and these are all like UCA, the United Cities of America, the place that you work for now. Bridges, basically. They're all installations for them, and they you bring them onto the Cairo network, which is again this this death internet that exists and the first area is mostly a tutorial area. You transition to the main section of the game pretty quickly, and that's when things start to change. They introduce the idea of like roads that you can build that will span literally span the continent in the same way that like America was literally built you know people had to people had to go west and lay down the infrastructure and they tell you go meet with these preppers these individual people that we need to bring onto the Cairo network so that we can expand it westward and they all have different reasons there it's the elder the engineer and the craftsman everybody's kind of named for their job and my job's being old. yeah but they all have they all have different reasons that they'll that they will or won't join you the craftsman won't join you at all he says no i don't want any part of the uca And you're like, well, is there anything I can do for you? He's like, yeah, go get my old tools from the ruins of Middle Knot City, which used to be the capital. And he's like, give me my tools and I'll join you. And then you go there. You actually go there and the place is swarming with BTs. And it's it's super dangerous. Nobody but you, nobody that can't see the BTs and that can't traverse that area safely should ever be near there. And there's constant time fall and you get his tools. And you make your way back, and I remember the first time I did this, I like ran out of stamina. It took so long to do, so I'm like barely trudging back into the place. And you you get back to the craftsman, and you you put the tools down in front of him, and he's like, "Wow, you actually got me my tools. These mean a lot to me. These were these were like my first tool set, and this these were so important to me. I can't believe you did this. Uh, I sure I'll join your network. And you create these strands, you create these." connections to people and places and things through your effort alone this is a good time to also mention that no naming is subtle whatsoever
2: they always talk about rope because they talk there's a line kind of early maybe it's in an email i don't actually remember but you know the first tools man made were rope and stick one was to keep man farther apart and one was to bind us and then as you connect the cities they call each city a knot that you're you know creating knots on the rope across the country and to connect those things you use a thing called a cupid <laughs> P-I-D, but it sounds like cupid cuz you're connecting everyone through love and the people who run the the government organization to connect everyone is called bridges cuz you're connecting people through bridges. Yeah.
0: And yada 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 this, yada this everything is, is named like that. Yeah, this is what we mean in the beginning where like the game is not subtle about about what it's trying to say. The plot is unbelievably convoluted, but the themes are not subtle.
2: This led me to kind of my own sort of analogy understand the way I viewed the game is where I look at it in terms of art. It feels more like an Impressionist painting. There's hyper-realistic paintings where you just kind of depict what you see. Impressionism is kind of, it's based off light, but it's also kind of like how, what you feel about the thing that you're looking at. You'll be a picture of the Rouen Cathedral, and you can tell it's a cathedral but it's all obscure and all that, like, the colors matter a lot more than the lines of it. I know it's pretty abstract, but we're playing an abstract-as-fuck game. It's a lot different than some of his earlier games, like in Metal Gear, where when they're trying to convey a theme to you, characters will monologue at you for a long time. They do do this that in this game, too. <laughs> I'm not saying that. And also, a lot of the stuff they tell you comes in lengthy text, but... There are so many different parts of the game where someone says the world is this way because I think maybe possibly this.
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot of the actual story that the characters give you is them speculating on what the death stranding could be like, what caused it, where did it come from, how should we act now? And it's not them necessarily putting forth like information to the players. It's all these people trying to cope in a world that doesn't make sense anymore that they can't see properly anymore.
2: And sometimes they'll, you'll read something that has a theory in it that will be contradicted later by information that characters get later. Yes. Yeah, some like,
0: characters do change over time.
2: Like an example is, you know, they mention that only humans have beaches. Only humans have this afterlife. And a character, Hartman, postulates, well, is a consciousness that creates these beaches and then saying, well, Dogs and cats don't have consciousness because they don't have beaches. But if you had AI, could they have a beach? And that's it. It's just a random interview that talks about that. And that doesn't go anywhere in the game. But it's something you can read like in your room before your next delivery. And then on your next delivery, you might just think about that the whole time. And there's a lot to think about there. More, There's more thoughts about AI in this game than Detroit Become Human. <laughs> like, that's what I like. Whereas, if you look at... If you compare this to other games, the Craftsman sent you on a fetch quest. And me and Ross play a lot of RPGs, and we basically complain about every fetch quest we've ever played. Yeah. Because they're always just like, I need some flint.
0: Mister, it, can you find my cats?
2: Is it, <laughs> is, it, is it... Is it outside? See, people are gonna know we listen to our cast so much when you quote yourself directly. Uh... But, sorry, it's just... You it was, can't
0: see my shit in grin.
2: It's exactly the tone of voice you used. It was a direct reference, yes. <laughs> this is distracting. But this fetch quest with the craftsman gives you something to think about, right? And this goes... There's another system in this game that I think is really interesting, is there's kind of no economy in this world, right? Yeah. There's no money, but you do things for likes. And at first, when I hear that, you're like, Damn, social media ruining the kids. (laughs) But the thing is, the difference between this social media and our social media, or, like, the idea of likes and social media, is our social media is heavily monetized. Yeah. Right? Like, there's literally just a boxing ticket between TikTok stars and YouTube stars. We live in the dumbest fucking reality. But in this game, likes are your currency. You do something to make
0: other... NPCs happy, but also other players. Yeah, but you, I, I want to stress they're not literal currency. You don't spend likes; you just accumulate them. And it's what, what it's why it's why you're doing what you're doing exactly. And what's interesting about this is is the fact that there is no negative way to interact with other people in this game. You can't give dislikes. Likes aren't a metric by which you measure anything except how much you've helped other people in this world. And this. That's how the multiplayer system works as well in the fact that other people's structures come into your world and your structures go out to other people's worlds. And if someone builds a bridge that you need and you use it, you know, you're, you're, you're tired after a long journey and there's like just a bridge that goes over the water and water's like pretty difficult to cross. You'll, you'll probably give that, that person's bridge some likes just because like, hey, thanks. You built a bridge that I couldn't have built and you You helped me. And that's the most interaction you have with other players. And what I think is fascinating about that is not only that you can't give dislikes, you can't say, oh, you built this in the wrong spot, right? You might think that. You could dismantle it and get rid of it. But you can't ever say you did something bad. You can only say, hey, thanks for trying. Thanks for doing anything to help. Because the way this system works is it's completely anonymous, which feels weird in a game that's like about connection. But if you think about it, like, her their gamer tag. Well, yeah, it tells you who built it, but, like, I don't know who Ass King 54 is, but I used his ladder. Like, thanks. It's just funny, because the only way
2: you can, like, negatively impact a player is if you went on actual social media and <laughs> dox
0: them. If you track them down. You're like, look at
2: this dumbass bri- bridge by, <laughs> by Ass
0: King 94 You built a bridge in the middle of nowhere? Why? I actually do have that question. So many people do that, and I don't get it. But beyond that, the fact is when you when you participate in the system when you build structures and when you use other people's structures you do so anonymously when you build roads or anything like that you might be helping other people you're doing it for yourself essentially but by creating a system that's that's based in pure anonymous helping people you create a system that's like in, inherently benevolent that that is inherently good right In which all participation in that system becomes good in and of itself. It's not about, it's not about I built a thing and it went into your world and now you owe me likes. It's that I built a thing and that was good. I built a thing because it might be helpful somewhere and that's what matters. It's about doing good for goodness sake.
2: And you can't really troll players in any way, because no. you could always dismantle structures. Like, if you couldn't dismantle structures, you would connect someone on the UCA, and then watchtowers would surround the entire <laughs> camp, and <laughs> yeah. you couldn't leave.
0: Yeah, it, it is a system that, that it, it's, it's rigged. You can't, it will always work the way it's supposed to work. There's
2: no, like, or... Minecraft where you, like, open a door and lava pulls up and kills you.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's obvious at this point, the game talks immensely about the value of connection, And why we should be working towards it, which is juxtaposed then against the the actual plot of the game, like the villains that show up, who advocate like an extreme disconnection, which the game says the most extreme sort of disconnection would be death, right? It's the the loss of all connection, and we'll talk about that more. But this is embodied, especially in Higgs, who is voiced by Troy Baker, uh, who did Joel from Last of Us and many other characters. He's Snow right. from Final Fantasy XIII, everyone's favorite game. Yeah, he's Snow from Final Fantasy XIII, that game you definitely played. So Higgs is a wonderful character in here, and he, he calls himself Higgs after like the Higgs boson. He calls himself the particle of God that moves between realities. He's super powerful, he can summon the dead, he can summon the BTs from the other side, and mostly he's there to get in your way. And his philosophy is essentially, you learn this by the end, but his philosophy is that humans are doomed. That humans only have, as he puts it, a few hundred thousand years to live, and that's it. And there's just no point in going on. He's like a pure existential dread embodied in a character. And he just says, fuck it. Just annihilate everybody. I want the the last stranding to occur. I want this to be the extinction of humanity because I see no reason for humans to exist anymore.
2: I do have to say that saying that humans have ten thousand years to live is... The most optimistic take on humanity I've heard in the last five years.
0: We're really trying to get through the next hundred, you know? But a, a couple hundred thousand would be nice. That'd be great. And so what's important about Higgs is that he is this opposite of Sam, right? Sam is the great deliverer. He's there to reunite the world. And Higgs is this great destroyer. He's there to destroy everything. He's there to extinguish humanity. So Sam and Higgs are what the game would call a chiral... Versions of one another, and chiral comes from a Greek word essentially meaning hand. The idea is it's it they're mirror images of one another. If you if you put like your your left and your right hands together, uh, and their palms, you can see that they're mirror images of each other. But they're not the same; they're incompatible. Like if you were to shake hands, you don't shake right to left; you shake right to right, left to left. Because things that are mirror opposites like that, they're equal but incompatible with one another. In the same way that Higgs is this this absolute existential, everything is pointless, we might as well die kind of person, and Sam is this good Samaritan character who's just out here trying to reconnect the world for reasons he doesn't really even understand himself. He just knows that's the thing to do, and so there, there are these characters that bump heads, and that's that's your core controversy throughout the game. And they even look similar. Now, one thing that's, like, gonna be difficult with this game is there's so
2: much weird, tiny details, it's easy to miss some. Sam was a baby strapped to his chest, I can't <laughs> believe we have not mentioned yet. We took that for
0: granted, I think. Yeah, like, you probably, like, that's what a lot of people know, is, oh, there's just a baby in Sam's chest, I don't know why. Yeah, this game was always called Norman Reedus and the Freaky Fetus. It's a really good name, is <laughs> yeah. And Higgs also has a baby strapped to his chest,
2: which you later see is like a weird fucked up doll. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's like a, it's
0: a pinhead from Hellraiser?
2: Kind of. I describe it like the baby in Toy Story that Sid has. Yeah. On like the little, that has like a rector set for fucking legs.
0: <laughs> and more creepy than that. Yeah. But basically these babies are, they're called bridge babies and they're sort of undeveloped uh, children. They're like 28 weeks, like almost... Fully developed, such that they can sense what's around them, but they're not, like, fully alive. They're not fully dead. It's that weird period. Yeah, and they're cut out of mom's, like, are in a coma
2: or dying. Yeah, yeah, they,
0: they call them a still mother. The mother's, like, in a coma, and the baby is taken out of her and put into a pod that simulates the womb. It's a whole thing. But basically, you can connect your brain to it, and it lets you see... BTs that are normally invisible. Hideo
2: Kojima. <laughs> But it's interesting because both Sam and Higgs are both kind of connected to the dead, right? They both have the baby. You see Higgs, like, control BTs. Like, he just shows up and he's like, I brought big-ass whale. And you're like, I guess you can do that. Don't know why. Sam, when he dies, is a repatriate, which means he wakes up from the dead. Like everyone else gets voided out. Sam just swims in the seam, finds his body, goes down his throat. There's a baby at the end of it, fucking Kojima, and goes, then you-
0: <laughs> goes down the baby's throat and then comes out the
2: other side in the real world. I forgot about the baby's throat. Yeah. There's a skip function that I <laughs> use on this cutscene liberally. Yes. Also, the baby gives you a thumbs up.
0: Yeah, because that's how people give
2: likes. It's gonna be a point. There's gonna be a point where the damn you Kojimas are just gonna need like a. <laughs> like a DYK or something. <laughs> We're going to need to shorthand that one. For most of the game, you probably have no idea how Hicks is doing, what he's doing, what his motivations are or what's going on. But like damn his cutscenes are fun. Like he's super Egyptian themed cuz he's obsessed with Egypt and so like his whole outfit kind of has like little Egyptian things. He's like crying tar tears all the time. His his BT and uh, scanner thing just look different. And he's voiced by Troy Baker, who just makes all of his scenes super fun to watch, because he's a fun voice actor.
0: Yeah, he he really hands up the role, and it, it works well.
2: So, like, every time he shows up, you're like, that was a fun ride. What? Yeah. <laughs> no idea what just happened. Moving on. So there are a lot of other characters that kind of have like all all the chapters are named after characters yeah and so
0: maybe we can just go through a couple real quick yeah so one of the biggest characters in the game but weirdly with the least impact i think on the entire plot is fragile she at the beginning of the game sam doesn't he has what's called afimphosophobia where he's afraid of, of touching other people and it doesn't come across much but he sam's arc is learning to trust people and learning to get over that that fear of connection and fragile kind of helps him along on that she follows a similar arc where she was she was fucked over by higgs a long time ago she runs like a competing delivery company and then higgs went rogue and had her blow up a city basically it's a whole thing but fragile that was the whole thing yeah, <laughs> that was the whole thing but fragile serves just to help get sam along on that on that journey on his arc but so do a bunch of other characters like deadman him and him and sam get like a real bromance going for the whole thing hartman gets him to open up later i would even say clifford unger who is is like a a ghost in and of himself gets sam to open up so like fragile feels weirdly irrelevant to the plot she's she's actually your fast travel system because she can teleport but beyond that her plot doesn't really matter to the to the actual game. Yeah, I
2: don't really like a lot of her scenes. One, a lot of it's about her and Sam, like m- becoming closer to Sam and like having that human connection. But like, she talks like a robot. I yeah. don't know if on purpose or not. Like Sam kind of talks like a robot, but it, it, it's almost pretty explicitly on purpose. You know, whether that's a good decision or not, that's another question. But it's more explicit with her. She's up uh, with him. With Fragile, they have. You know, if you read any of her text based stuff. It's about how she's trying to, like, remake her father's dream and rebuild America and all that stuff. And then every time she talks to you, it's just, like,
0: stiff and weird. Yeah. And that's a problem with, with a lot of characters in the game. But but Fragile is, like, weirdly unlikable in this game. And she's pretty irrelevant to the plot. She just kind of doesn't need to be there. And and you gotta wonder if some of, like, isn't, like, all the voice acting is bad? I mean, they do
2: have Mads Mikkelsen and Troy Baker, who both do incredible jobs in the game. Yeah. Mostly because I think they're incredible
0: I think actors. He, I think even Guillermo de Toro does. Yeah, really Game del Toro do does a great job.
2: Guillermo de Toro has an expository role, in my opinion, and less of, you know, kind of an emotional nuance role. But you wonder how sometimes maybe some of the voice acting is delivered... A little stiffly because Kojima's like, okay, you have Phobia. You just escaped a nuclear void out because you touched a baby ghost. But that baby ghost was one of your close friends' baby ghosts. <laughs> it's fine. She's dead, but doesn't have a soul anymore. But take her to her twin sister so she can absorb them like they're in Dragon Ball Z. And they're like, so you want me to say, like, fucking Higgs or something? Yeah, go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about Mama now. <laughs> I kind of alluded to basically all of Mama's plot, but there's kind of an interesting thing that we haven't talked a lot about with BTs is one thing this game does, I think, a lot is teach you a lot of good vocabulary so you can kick ass and Scrabble. <laughs> so uh, next time you're there, Austin Phosphobia, see if you have 15 letters. Yeah, But they talk about, and this is an- another different language word, your ha and your ka, or your ha is your body and your ka is your soul, coming from Egyptian words. And they say that the BTs are made from our souls, which is interesting, because all they do is they try to touch people. Yeah. And accidentally cause the end of things when they do that.
0: Yeah, but that's not their intent. They're just, they're just there because they're trying, they're trying to grab at the living. Yeah. Yeah. They have nowhere to go. It's souls that can't move on. It's
2: it's like our literal soul, though. Like, the thing that's most important to our soul is making these connections. Yeah. And I think it's a really cool thematic thing, because at first, BTs are these horrifying ghosts, and you don't know what they are, and they have Cthulhu-like aesthetics, or Lovecraftian horror aesthetics. And then later, it's kind of like, well, they're not trying to be bad. They just happen to be this. Like, they're trying to reach out to humanity, because that's all they know. They don't know it's going to cause a void out. They don't think that way, and so there's kind of an interesting, you know, focus on what is the body and what is the soul. And then you know you have certain characters uh talk about already ha- have dying, like their body already died. You know, there's a character later on you'll find out whose ha and ka have been split the whole time. Mama gave birth to a baby after borrowing genetic material from her sister. From her and sister. Her but then got caught in like a like a, a collapsing a, a collapsing building, building yeah. and then she gave birth to the baby trapped under rubble. But, but the then baby the baby was died.
0: Dead. Yeah, and uh, that's why we invented DYK, <laughs> DYK, DYK. But suffice to say, Mama's soul sort of got birthed instead of the baby, and she spent the rest of her time between then and now taking care of that and sort of hiding from the world.
2: And it's one of the first times you, like, Sam shows up and his little, there's a little sensor attached to the baby to your chest that senses BTs and it re- it's reacting to the BT. I'm doing the symbol of the, of the thing that you can't see. I don't know why I'm doing that. But walk in, Sam sees the BT and starts freaking out. He's like, no, it's my baby. And you see the baby going, mama, she rocks the baby. And she's like, that's why I can't leave here. And it's the first time the BTs are kind of put into a context of like, no, like Mama cares and loves her this b t It's not just an inherently evil thing,
0: yeah, it's not just a monster that wants to drag you away, and this one doesn't act that way, so it's kind of a special b t but at the same time it it recontextualizes it and and says, no, these are just these are just the the souls of people, you know, and all they want is connection, and because Mama has this natural connection to it, like she's still attached to it through this like ghostly umbilical cord. It doesn't. It doesn't reach out for anybody else. It's not searching for the connection that it doesn't have because it has, has one. Because yeah. it has one, right? And eventually, you find out that that because Mama is connected to the BT, which is the the BTs represent essentially the world of death. Because she's so connected to the world of death, it disconnects her from the rest of life. In this case, from her sister, that her twin sister, that they used to be so close. They literally had like telepathic. magic twin powers yeah they had magic twin powers and so you go and talk to her sister and her sister tells you uh she doesn't want anything to do with you because uh reasons right because she's mad at, at, at mama and you go back and talk to mama and mama's like well i guess it's time for me to reconnect with the living essentially and she gives you she gives you a thing that lets you cut these ghostly umbilical cords that all bts have and you you cut her baby away, and you see it get taken basically to the afterlife um but it also it also like kills mama
2: and have you have to carry to you have to also carry her body yeah. across like the entire map, and as you're doing it, she's like, "Sam, do you remember your own birth? <laughs> it's just super weird and abstract, but they're like Like, a lot of the stuff in this game, it has good and bad parts. Like, there's a part where they basically make you abort this ghost baby. Which, again, when you say out loud, sounds batshit crazy. And it is batshit crazy. But, like, it makes you think and reflect on things. But also, like, another part of it is carrying her body as it's dying, but not quite dead. As she talks about feeling her own birth to her twin sister, who then is like, I'm her now
0: yeah they literally absorb like her sister literally absorbs her soul and they become the same person but that's not they don't like become a new person it's just both of them living in the same body it's very weird but like she talks about she talks about how she remembers her own birth and you're like that's really weird but later you talk to dead man who is uh, literally a frankenstein he's like i was grown in a lab like from a test tube and when i when I fully developed a lot of my organs didn't work, so they harvested organs from dead people and put them in me and Now my body is this is this Frankensteinian amalgam of of dead people and he says because I wasn't born like a normal person, I didn't have any connection to the I didn't have any human connection through the through my mother you know the umbilical cord is a really symbolic symbol here he says because I was not born with that connection. I don't have a soul. And I don't have a beach, yeah. therefore. Yeah, Deadman says, I don't have a soul. I don't have a beach. I'm literally like the walking dead. And so when you... when With Norman Reedus. Yeah, the walking dead... Oh my god. So, yeah, so, that was not intentional. <laughs> and so when Mama says she remembers her own birth, she's trying in the worst way possible to convey that that she does have this this connection to the to the world and that she's kind of remembering that and you bring her to her sister lachna and then they merge entities and then they kind of leave the game because they're not useful anymore and so
2: yeah it's like every time you carry a body is like pretty interesting and pretty impactful i feel like they do like good stuff with it but also like looking online there's like a, a number of people who just put uh mama in the back of their pickup truck it just drove her to mountain, not City, and then I all can think about is her just in the pickup bed, big like Snake. Do you remember your own birth? I meant Sam. I'm sorry, I was getting you too confused. <laughs> to relate what we kind of said at the top of the podcast, you know, the game is divided up in these chapters focused on characters that are really just kind of like philosophical metaphors for things they want you to explore. Like, you have this whole chapter with, you know, Mama and her BT, but it just makes you recontextualize BTs and bodies and souls. I feel like the game isn't necessarily trying to make you feel super connected to Mama. It's to give you something for your brain to chew on as you go throughout the story. And I think the game kind of needs that, because for a while, Sam is not, and really for most of the whole game, not really a character. He just kind of is there to be monologued at, and kind of be a proxy for the audience for a lot of it. But kind of while you're going through these stories, you see some major changes in Sam. When you get the baby at the beginning, your bridge baby, Deadman makes it very clear that it's supposed to
0: be a tool. Like, to, to use to find BTs. Yeah, he says, this thing is not alive. It is a tool for use. Yeah, and, and basically says, don't get attached to it. Yeah.
2: To Sam. And then, somewhere in the middle of it, I don't know the exact scene when, it just kind of happens... He names the baby Lou, the BB Lou. Yeah,
0: it happens between scenes. He just starts saying it.
2: Yeah, and you like no, like, I just kind of knows while I'm playing because, because the baby will start crying through the speaker in your controller, which the first time I play this game, it's cool. It's kind of creepy and it feels like, but after playing this game, especially for a review, when you've played it before, it's so annoying that I can mute everything but my
0: controller. Yeah, I've played this game three times now. And the first the first playthrough, I was pretty pumped on Lou. I was like, this is a cool mechanic. He, like, cries through your controller, and it's always something you got to think about. And you have to, like, you have to look down. You have to rock the controller to rock the baby, and so he stops crying. And you have to, like, manage his, his um, sort of mental health while you're going through this dangerous world. By the third time I played the game, I was like... Something please shut this baby up To the point where Sometimes if he was like If his sanity was kind of low I would just throw myself off a cliff Like I won't die But it lowers his sanity And if he goes of Which is when he sort of stops functioning Scrabble he, words He just gets quiet And it's so nice I The baby through the controller That you can't mute Is not a, a great look It's interesting mechanic But this game doesn't have nearly enough accessibility options like you shouldn't have you shouldn't have that people if you're playing with like a roommate they're not gonna let you play this game because your controller's always crying like a baby you know yeah
2: i can't there's so many people who are like yeah i'll play that game anymore i can't imagine yeah (laughs) we're like dogs freaking out and shit like that because
0: that's a that's a visceral sound that we that we as humans react to a baby crying is something we kind of always listen to we can't we can't tune it out because it's in our brains you know and so, like, making that just a sound that happens all the time that you can't mute, that's bad design. Yeah, definitely should be able to mute it. But I do definitely... I think the effect
2: works really well on your first playthrough. Which is, in general, how I think the game is designed for you to kind of play the game once, play it a lot, and then be done with it. Yeah. Because one thing I thought... I Kind of comparing it to the what we talked about in our previous cast with... um, Mimetic controls. Is this game actually has those. So when the baby freaks out, it says... You know, you can look down at your little pod and unplug it. And then it says, shake the controller to relax it. So I would just move my wrist back and forth. Which is literally what it looks like when you shake a baby. And it (laughs) never worked. It only was until I literally put the controller in my arm and cradled it like an actual baby. I figured out how to put the baby to sleep. And like, that's weird. But like, it was interesting. And like... The baby's, like, attached to you by, like, a cord, and every time you unplug it, he, like, pulls up this little pipe full of fluid and picks up the baby. So whenever I had to rock the baby, I would have to, like, unplug my controller from it being charged and put it in my hand and stop playing for a second to take care of the crying baby that is my controller. And, like, that's really cool. That's a really cool design. Yeah. Uh, In similar, there's lots of little things in the game. Like, we're talking about in the packages where they shift, or the bodies... You have to hold the trigger buttons. And when you hold the trigger buttons, Sam grabs the straps on his shoulders to keep it straight. So sometimes, like while I'm playing, I'd be like, I want to drink a beer while I'm playing. But I literally, if I let go, he starts to fall over to the to the left or to the right. It felt like I had like, no, I'm working. It's my job. Yes. I got to finish my job. This yes. is what I'm here to do.
0: If you want to do something else, you've got to stop what you're doing. And that's interesting, right? Because it's really immersive, the, the way that you interact with, uh, with like, Lou and your packages and things like that. It's part It's part of the reason I, I love walking, you know? Yeah. And so, like, the rest stops, I feel like, in the game feel better, and they
2: feel more, and, like, that's why I feel like, like, uh, we were kind of having this argument before the cast a little bit, where it's like, Sam isn't a silent protagonist, but I think Sam kind of functions as a silent protagonist for a while, because what your actions are doing kind of define his character when he is essentially not really a part of any of the cutscenes at any point
0: yeah and i take a more strict definition of of a silent protagonist Silent protagonists generally speaking exists in games so that you can put your own personality onto him. it's characters where a lot of times like you choose the dialogues or or they just say nothing and everybody else just says stuff for you in this game you don't you don't have choices or anything you you can i think empathize with sam but you cannot put your own personality into sam he is his own person even though his person is like pretty bland
2: yeah, I just think there's a little bit of, like, the way you treat your baby, you know? I, for example, am, like, a loving and caring parent who, like, rocks the baby to sleep. Ross would purposely hurt
0: the baby and keep him hurt so it would stop talking. To be fair, I played this game three times, making that, like, my third child, and I you care less over time. And That's yeah, o- just true. Over time, the game turns you into Hicks. I was real good uh, to my first baby. I would stop in the middle of BT fields, like... Danger all around because my baby's crying and I'm and I just sitting there rocking my controller, just trying to just trying to keep my baby happy. I played the harmonica for it. Okay, you got me beat. <laughs>
2: I don't want to like keep one upping. Like, I think the gameplay only works as if you take it seriously. Like, if you you have to follow what the game wants you to
0: believe, you have to care about your baby for the game to work. Um, yeah, but I also I also have like some some legitimate issues with the with the gameplay. And there's like some of it is really, really good. But one, this game is pretty easy. Even on hard mode, it's just, it's not hard. When you get caught by the BTs, they drag you into like a boss arena and you have to fight a big boss monster. Uh, and they're just incredibly easy to kill. Like, like almost no threat. It, if there's only one of them, you can, it doesn't matter at all. You can actually just walk away. You can just leave the arena and it just goes away. In some places there will be two or three or four of them. And it's still not a threat. They're just so easy to kill. But the fights are really cool in and of themselves. Like, it's this weird Lovecraftian monster that's trying to kill you and eat your soul. And you're in this, like, lake of tar. And out of the lake keeps bubbling, like, school buses and old buildings and stuff. And it's, it's, it's cool because stuff you haven't seen either. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, schools should exist. Yeah, the world's, like, kind of barren. It's just, it just rocks and rubbles and fallout shelters. And you you forget that like normal buildings existed, and this tar comes from the other side. it literally is pulling these buildings from other time periods, and they're just bubbling around. you You can climb the rubble and fight. and it should be more inter- it should be more interesting, but the combat is so simplistic, and the bosses are so easy that like you would have to, you would have to try to get killed, I think. So there's a couple of things. I do agree with that. I actually never killed the
2: BT monsters because I just never car- I never carried the weapons you needed to. Which I think is interesting where it's like you have to prepare for combat because weapons take cargo space. You have to decide if you actually care enough to bring weapons. So I never actually really engaged with the combats with the BTs. But they are hell easy to run away from. I really do like the BTs early game because it just kind of comes off like a horror element of the game. And whenever they hear you or spot you, they start... Contacting the ground, and you see like tar footprints pop up as they follow you, and you're like holding your breath, so they can't even hear you breathe, and you're just trying to slowly run away, but you don't want to get up and run because they'll hear that. Yeah. So like it, it creates this really cool tension. But as the game goes on, it becomes so trivial, and by the time they make you abort Mama's baby. She gives you a thing that cuts the umbilical cords, and so now you just go near BTS and cut their cords, yeah, and, and then you just go through instantly. the go you, through the field pretty easily.
0: You literally assassinate them at, the, at that point,
2: and it's kind of weird because at that point in the game, I don't really want to fucking be fighting BTS anymore. So yeah. like, I'm glad they're easy because I'm like, like I got I got I got a lot, I got like yeah, 960 cause, kilograms cause of packages to, to go up the mountain, but I also think it's kind of interesting because at least there's a flavor element of. The more society gets connected and the more people you get into the UCA, just how objectively easy these things become to kill because they're no longer a threat with the unified effort of mankind, right? Like, there's the craftsman's like, I made her special grenades that are extra effective against them. Mama's like, I took carillium and made, you know, a thing to cut their cords. And someone's like, I got a gun that shoots your blood Uh, because his blood kills them because plot reasons, uh, Dyk. <laughs> it is interesting that they are so easy. And then when you're in, like, kind of like the last fourth of the game, you're just ziplining above them.
0: Yeah, you probably don't even remember they exist for, for the rest of the game. Yeah,
2: you're like, oh, that's BT territory. <laughs> exactly. And then the baby's laughing, you know? <laughs> it's
0: just a good time. So, like a lot of this game, the BTs are pretty easy, but they're thematically interesting. They're there because they have a message to send. But I also contrast them with my favorite part of the game, as I said before, is walking. And eventually you get into the mountain area. And the mountains are covered in snow, but it's not normal snow, it's time fall snow. It's like it's literally like crystallized time, and it it sits on your packages and erodes them quicker. And it is more difficult to trudge through. You get you get some robot legs that like help you stay upright and help you go through a little faster. But it's a it's a long trudge, and they keep making you get all these, like, further and further preppers that are in, in more dangerous areas. And yes, you have zip lines, but you can't establish those until you get the preppers online. And a couple of missions have snowstorms, like like blizzards that, that pop up. Whiteouts, they call them. Whiteouts. And this was actually, like, one of my favorite moments in the game every time I play it. Because... I love the walking. I love the challenge of covering the distance of getting through the mountains, of getting through all, all, all the areas and with my packages intact. And so your packages are in containers and the containers have like a health bar and the package itself has a health bar. You can repair the containers, but you can't repair the package inside once it's taken damage. So... I get my favorite item in the game, which is a floating carrier, you attach to yourself with a little string and it it just hovers above the ground behind you and carries packages for you. Or it could be a skateboard, game it's, sweet. It could also be a skateboard, but my favorite part of the game is you're high up in the mountains all alone far from anyone that could that could help and it's just you with Packages on your back with your little floating carrier behind you, like your ever-present companion, the the floating carrier. And a blizzard comes up, and I go into my map, and I I have to mark a route using my map, uh, a thing you can do. So I mark a, a route that I think will take me to where I'm supposed to go. And the blizzard's so thick that I can't really see anything in front of me. It's just a couple of feet, and all I can see is like the little route that I've marked. And all I have is all my packages on the floating carrier. And every few steps I'll turn around and spray it all with container repair spray because their cargo condition is just plummeting constantly because of how much timefall there is. and I just I just slowly trudge through the mountains doing this little thing and it's for reasons I don't understand. I don't know what I'm delivering. I just know that I have to do it that someone out there is counting on me to make this dangerous journey. and when I you can get so close to that to that prepper in the blizzard that like you are surprised. That the building is so close to you. You'll just look up and it's like 10 feet away. And it's just, there's this moan of like, I made it. You know? My packages are alive. I'm alive. I made it. And now I can connect to these people. And you connect them and the blizzard goes away and stuff pops up on your map. You get structures and stuff. And it just feels like you have accomplished some monumental task. And really all you did was walk. All you did was deliver. I think it's kind of cool because I'm almost
2: 95% sure that prepper is the spiritualist. It might be. And I just think it's kind of interesting, like, like the spiritualist, you're like, i mean spiritual connecting to walking. <laughs> and then, like, all of the spiritualist emails kind of, like, talk about the fourth, like, kind of break the fourth wall where they talk about, like, I've seen bunches of Sam's, and it's like, they're talking about the other people, like, the other players all are Sam because yeah. 100 people are playing this game. I enjoy the mountain preppers because you see why they need the UCA. For example, the spiritualist, has a sister known as the cosplayer who's like could not be further from her. Yeah. Who also when you get there um lives with Conan O'Brien cuz this game is fucking weird. <laughs> cuz Kojima has a lot of friends and he likes to put them in his games. I don't know how I became friends with Conan. He is though. And so there's a lot of deliveries between those two and like I like to do them even though they're like kind of like the most annoying ones to do. Because that's the only way that they can connect with each other. Or there's the Mountaineer near the Spiritualist who's, like, raising a kid. And, like, a lot of his deliveries, or their deliveries, it's a man and a wife, are, like, bring baby milk. And it's fragile. And you...
0: Well, when you go go to the Mountaineer, actually, is... You go from the Doctor, who's near the central city, and you bring technology to the Mountaineer where the Doctor can, like, remotely help his wife give birth. Oh, yeah. Right? So... Like they need you and and the u c a and the chiral network he's like, "You need to bring this technology over, and you need to get them on the chiral network and you do that and after that every time every time they show up when you give when you do a delivery, the holograms pop up and they like thank you and check the package and stuff after that, every time you go there, it's just the two of them and they're holding a baby because you help successfully bring a li- a life into the world,
2: yeah which is kind of cool where it's like you know there's also a guy labeled the first prepper. Where, like, one of his emails is, like... Because he lives at the highest peak in the game. And one of his emails is, like... Isn't it just better eating food really high up in the air? (laughs) And he's just, like, justifying his completely illogical (laughs) lifestyle choices. And, like, it just... There's weirdly more connections that I've drawn with these individual preppers... Whose personality is almost entirely flushed out through emails... Than, like... Mama and Fragile. Yeah. Like, they say interesting things... Fragile has a catchphrase saying I'm fragile, but I'm not that fragile.
0: Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, the the preppers have a lot more personality than the actual characters do because the characters are just, they're there to tell you the plot. I often say that like even though the actors tend to be really good in this game, the writing is, I think, somewhat subpar. Because every time they speak, it's like they're speaking essentially to the camera. They're explaining something to you. And Norman Reedus, I don't think, was a good choice for Sam. Not because Norman is bad, but because his sort of deadpan delivery of everything and the way he doesn't react to things. Like, Sam doesn't react to things when weird stuff happens. He just accepts that weird stuff happens and moves on. And combine that with, like, Norman Reedus's really low-key acting, it just it creates a character that doesn't seem to care about anything that that's happening around them. And that's sort of the point. Yeah, I, see, I a little bit disagree, because I do think...
2: That's a lot of the point, right? Where it's people, like, it's, you know, I think there's some kind of conversation about, like, people who feel soulless even without the losing the BT. Where they just live their life going through the motions. They're just out there surviving, right? But then you meet characters like the Mountaineer who, like, have a purpose for living because they're taking care of a family, right? There's a bunch of times where Sam says, I don't know why we're doing, like, why we're rebuilding, you know? Yeah. It was like this before. Why do you think it's going to make it better? The only reason he's doing what he's doing is because the actual worst character in the game, Amelie, is just like, I'm out west, come get me. And then every time fucking Norma's Reedus takes a nap, he wakes up literally naked on a beach, and half the time Amelie's like, Sam, just kidding, I'm getting murdered. Or I'm really a skeleton. Or uh, a new guy. and, And then it just wakes up and it... The game keeps going.
0: I don't know how to explain what I'm saying because none of it means anything. Amelie um, comes up in like a lot of nightmares and stuff like that, but she keeps she keeps showing up just to just to be like there's nebula's plot ahead of you and you're like I know and she's like well that's all I'm going to tell you for now. And Sam's like you're the only
2: person I remember in my previous life which somehow includes my mother.
0: Yeah. But what what I what I meant with with Norman Reedus and and with Sam in general is that like it's like he doesn't have anything to say. So like when Mama and Lochna merge into one entity, they'll be like, Mama, is that you? And they're like, It's Mama and Lochna We're one in the same now, Sam. And he's just like, Cool. I mean, but, that is how we the audience. But right? no, but he doesn't even say that. He does he literally doesn't react, right? I'm adding more to, to the yeah. performance than there is. He's it's just accept that and move on. And everyone does that shit, right? Like they just say the most outlandish thing possible with no reaction from from the main character, and that's partly Norman Reese, that's partly uh, Kojima. It's just he's not well written. I don't think. Yeah, maybe he's just like yeah. In a world where overnight we found out
2: like what the afterlife is, everyone just accepts things a lot more readily. Yeah, she's like, actually, I'm a uh, Frankenstein's. So
0: yeah, about but right. he also seems like he doesn't know anything about the world. Yeah, you know, it, it's like he keeps learning these new things, and we, the audience, are like, are like. What the fuck was that? You know, at least at least have a, like what was that all about? It's he just doesn't. Do you anything. also forgot the way more
2: egregious uh, Norman Reedus Lochna moment, where when he first meets Lachna, Mama's twin, it's like, hey, I'm blah blah blah, and he's like, okay, Mama, I know it's you,
0: and it's like, no, I'm, I'm a different person, and he's like,
2: okay, Mom, and like it goes on for like too long. Yeah, it's it's. Where it's he's like, like but film. you have her face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you look the same, but and then they tell you that that they're twins and. Yet you gotta be like, you couldn't have told me that before I came up here? Like, they're like, oh yeah, that's Lachna, Mama's twin. They work together to make the Cupid, and also they're feuding. I I didn't tell you this before you went up there, and now you gotta trek your ass all the way back to Mama, and then get Mama, and then trek your ass back up to Lachna and the mountains. You gotta do this journey like three times, just because they didn't bother communicating in any way. Yeah, because someone can't pick up a damn cell phone. Exactly, you know, it... Like, it's, it's just frustrating how, how all that comes about.
2: And part of Sam being so unemotional and having the boss awesome, awesome Boston phobia and not connecting to people, it does make the scenes where he does connect to people stand out a little bit more, in my opinion. Yeah. So, a good example is when you meet Hartman, who I think is both of our favorite character, because everything in this game is batshit crazy, he lost his family on the beach, and he was there for 23 minutes? He was he was dead for 21 minutes. 21 minutes. And so, every 21 minutes, he stops his heart, hangs out on the beach for three minutes, and then restarts his heart with a defibrillator attached to his chest, and just does that in every 21-minute cycle, or 24-minute cycle, really, in his entire life.
0: Yeah, he's done it for, like, 16 years, something like yeah, that. Yeah, he gives you a bunch of hard numbers. Yeah, it, um, it, it, it's a lot. So, yeah, he, he basically kills himself over and over again. And he has a special power that he can go to other people's beaches. So he says he's searching the beaches for his family. Right? And it, but it's what's interesting about him is it's not because he wants to, like, get them back. He's not entertaining some some fantasy where he can, like, raise the dead if he finds them. He just wants to die with them. He's, he's struck with the, the realization that there is an afterlife that we can go to. And he's terrified that when he dies, he's not going to find his family on the other side. And that's what he spends his whole life doing. He's he just says, "I kill myself every twenty one minutes so that when I find my family, I don't have to come back. I can just I can just die with them finally, like it, I should have." And it's you know it's an interesting flavor because not only that, but he's like
2: the one scientist who just like. He's the person who's most responsible for helping us figure our way out of this mess. But the, to relate to the Sam, you know, developing connections with people is he has a. Chiral hourglass that he uses to mark the three minute increments. And you see, there's a part where he's about to die, like, gets in his little chair and waits for himself to cut his heart off. He goes, Oh, yeah, and remembers and turns the chiral hourglass in time before he dies. And then you wait for him for his three minutes. He wakes up and he keeps talking to you. And then at the end of the conversation, he's like, Okay, about to die for my second time in this conversation because he's hella rude. (laughs) And Sam is about to leave and he's like walking out the door. And then he goes back, grabs the hourglass, and flips it for him.
0: Yeah. Because Uh, he forgets he forgot to do it.
2: He forgot to do it. And it's and it's like it's actually really cool, right? Like Sam is actually showing care for the things that Hartman cares about. Yeah. Because essentially it's not important. Like he doesn't need the hourglass for anything. Yeah. It's just a part of his little routine. And it's Sam actually, you know, respecting that character. It's also the first character, even though he mentions it so briefly, he mentions that. He
0: had a pregnant wife who died. Yeah. Well, earlier Deadman brings it up, but Sam never talks about it until he gets to to Hartman. And Hartman's talking about how he lost his family and how he basically just wants to be dead with him. And it's very clear that Sam connects with that because Sam's like, I also had a family, you know? Yeah. And, and Hartman even says, like, I didn't think I would be the person you'd ever open up to. But it makes sense when you think about it. Like, they're both people. Sam... Still at this point, I mean, he's, he's connecting to other people, but in a lot of ways, you kind of feel like he wants to be dead, you know, that he'd rather just be with his family that he, that he couldn't save. Yeah, exactly. It's the only thing that kind of makes his whole yearning to be
2: with Amelie stuff make palpable. Cause as a whole, it just feels like there's a marker at the end of the map where he has to go and she's just there for that.
0: But it's just like, he just has, it's the only person he really considers family left. Yeah. It's it, she's all he's got left, and yeah, it's not their relationship is not conveyed well, but yeah. you accept that it exists, you know. Like
2: we spend a lot of time naked on the beach together as children. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what a lot of children do, but it's way weirder in this world. <laughs> it's
0: super weird.
2: So Harmon is kind of the last section before the end game, and I think it's kind of the most interesting in a lot of ways. It feels similar to the mountain section because they both take place mostly in the mountains. But there's a couple things. Hartman's room and all of the aesthetic and everything to do with Hartman is really interesting. Like he has padded floors for whenever he dies in case he's not in a safe place. Yeah. He's surrounded there's like BT sculptures. There's like there's a part where he knocks his heart out and you have three minutes to just look at everything in the room. And like it's entertaining, you yeah. know? It's 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 a visual it's you don't see a lot of visually engaging civilization. You see visually engaging like outdoor shit, but you're never like you're whenever you go to a city, it's like, now go to the terminal and then go to the room that's identical to all your other rooms. You know? Yeah. There's a couple of cities where there's like, oh there's like a dock section and you're like that's it. So it's at least like it's all it's it is a nice change of pace throughout the game. And Hartman in the text-based part of the game says all of the interesting shit in my opinion. Yeah. He he talks about chirality. He talks about han ka. He has this whole little spiel that I think is really interesting, even though it's kind of fake science. Game has a lot of fake science. When there used to be Neanderthals and Homo sapiens, and one of them had to survive, he describes their Neanderthals as being bigger, stronger, and more able to sustain themselves by themselves, but only through Homo sapiens necessity to work together and to form a society and make something like religion to have a common goal to make them move forward. They were the species able to survive because it's better to survive when you work together than by yourself, even if you're stronger. And there's just a bunch of messages like that, that really gets you thinking. And this is kind of the part of the game where they talk a whole shit ton about evolution, where they talk about what if the death standing, what if it happened? So humanity could survive the extinction.
0: Yeah, Hartman is a character that dives into like the science and the and the like the deep lore of the of the death stranding, and a lot of it. I mean, all of it is is pseudoscience and stuff. Uh, he you know he goes back and talks about like the you know five major extinctions in history and how they might have all been death strandings and things like that. It's a lot. But when you, when you sort of unfocus your eyes and just listen to what he's trying to say, he's talking about evolution as a method humans use for connection, right? That, like, we are literally evolved to be connected to one another. That it's, it's not just a thing that we made up, it's something that's inherent to us. And we see it in, in things like religion and, and things like science
2: together. Well, one thing I would say, though, and I think it's one of the more imp- interesting questions the game kind of poses, is it says pretty much outright... That the concept of society was evolutionary beneficial to the human race. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard thing to square away in modern times. When you look at society now, and it's the number one threat to the planet as a whole, to all life, is the society that we built. And I think that's the thing that the game kind of makes you square away in your head. Right? How could society have helped us get to this heights, but also be actually the thing catapulting us to our doom? So in general, just stew on that, audience, <laughs> as we move forward. So we kind of talk have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the convoluted Amelie plot that only kind of makes sense at the end, but it is being a lot of drag through mud. Yeah. Sorry, tar. Tar. Oh, we've jinx. all got there. We're so strong. connections. We are one. The themes of the game lifted <laughs> this day. So the whole game they're talking about, Amelie's out west, go west, blah, blah, blah. There's a tar belt that separates you basically from California. And then when you cross that tar belt, you're basically just in the end game. There are a lot of boss fights. There's a couple of like packagey stuff. But like everything is cutscene to end game, cutscene to end game. And there's kind of two separate plots with it. There's... This guy played by Matt Mickelson, Clifford Unker, that we haven't even found a place to mention him yet. Yeah. And then there's Amelie. I think we should do Amelie first, because, uh, let's rip that bandaid off.
0: Yeah, let's do it. So, Amelie is this thing called an extinction entity, which, we, we don't know if that's a cosmic thing, like, part of this cosmic cycle of death and rebirth, or if it's a person, or if it's both. It seems like it's kind of both. But Amelie basically exists to bring on the end times she actually ends up causing the death stranding and we'll talk about in just a second but her purpose now is to bring on the last stranding which is the the full extinction of humanity but amelie is the ka the soul of bridget strand who was your your mom president uh and that was that was her body they've been split and basically while she had a body while she, and the body is like the connection to life, right? While she still had a body in this connection to life, she was fighting her purpose as an extinction entity. She didn't want to wipe out humanity. She wanted to build, um, she wanted to build bridges, but then when her body died, it seems like her instinct kind of took over. And now her soul is just kind of moving towards mass extinction. And she's, she ends up sort of begging Sam to, to like stop her. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want to erase all of humanity, but but she doesn't have a choice anymore because she's not connected to life anymore. She is now an entity of death. And Sam, as her connect- as her last remaining connection to life, has to be there to prevent the last stranding and the full extinction of humanity. Amelie has employed people like Higgs, who is trying to act- actively bring on the extinction, and Clifford Unger, who we'll talk about in just a minute. So the way the couple things the way they
2: frame Amelie for most of the game is Higgs is controlling Amelie and Amelie is a captor, but then you find out Amelie is controlling Higgs. This is also a very uh uh D Y K moment for Kojima because he's like, what if the primary antagonist of the game and the first thing you do is burn their body, and then the way you beat them is you give them a hug at the end yeah, of the you game. You hug their soul.
0: Yeah, it it, it really is um, super complicated, but at the same time you know, the themes of, like, connection and togetherness still hold. So kind of like the cause of everything is revealed in
2: the last moments of the game, which they're using two different plots, intertwining plots. Everything going on with Bridget and Amelie and her goals and what it means to be an EE, and a character Clifford Unger, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who earlier in the game... You keep getting sucked into a different war, World War I, II, and then Vietnam, respectively. And then having to fight him like a boss fight. And it's very Metal Gear. Like, he literally rises from the tar, and there's skeleton soldiers of the dead. And then he gets off a barbed wire spider. DYK, but also, good job, Kang. Yeah,
0: no, yeah.
2: Uh, It's metal. Pulls a cigarette from hell every time and lights it. And then he's saying, like, do you have my BB? And he's trying to get your BB attached to your chest. Yeah. You've seen this character before you get sucked into the war because every time you go in an elevator from your room and you plug into your baby, they say you sometimes will see your BB's memories and you keep seeing Clifford Unger. And so you're like, oh, this BB must have been Clifford Unger. So you're seeing Clifford Unger's character from inside the pod and him talking to the pod because it's. You can tell it's his child. And just trying to figure out who this guy is, which you can't really get out much other than he doesn't seem like a bad guy.
0: Yeah, he seems like a pretty good father.
2: Yeah, pretty good father. But then you're whisked away to this weird war beach where it's just nonstop warfare. And it's also really cool thematically with the game because it's so jarring. Like, so many games are like you go around and you shoot people in war. Good por- portion of games, yeah. But when you go from like serenely crossing a mountain to like beautiful music, or like reflecting on like kind of life and s- death in an existential s- sense, and then you go to the trench warfare of World War One and you see like ghost planes crashing, and it's just it looks horrific and it feels stressful, and you're like overwhelmed by the amount of stimuli almost because there's explosions everywhere and all that kind of. Stuff. It really just makes you be like. Oh yeah, war used to exist. Yeah,
0: you kind of forget about it, but you're like, "This is this is awful," and you want out of there as soon as possible. And, and one thing I like is like one of the first things that happens is you see a plane crash,
2: and my my first thought is like, "Damn, I wish we had planes for deliveries." <laughs> yeah. There's no
0: planes in this world. Yeah, they can't have them because of the Cairo clouds. Yeah, because Cairo clouds. Yeah, I forgot about that. So what you find out about Clifford Unger after after going through his wars, like the wars are his beach, and it's it said like. His suffering has transformed him into these hellscapes that you have to fight him through. And each time time you beat him, you get a little closer. And by the end, you come to realize that he's not trying to get your BB. Sam was his baby. It turns out that's your father. Bridget, the president, was uh, your adopted mother. And what you find out is is through through the little vignettes that you see when you plug into the baby, when you see the memories and when you talk to Cliff, you find out that basically his his wife became a still mother, but he didn't really understand what was going on. He was lied to by the president and by, who will become, Die Hardman. And he wants to get his baby out. Like, he wants to take his baby and escape. And he, he thought he was saving his life, but instead they were, they were trying to utilize him. They were trying to utilize the baby for science. And Die Hardman helps him, because Die Hardman used to be a soldier who worked under him. And it's an
2: interesting thing because they kind of, like, Barrowman doesn't have a ton of really character-building scenes, but it's kind of interesting where he's like, look, I'm loyal to you. You pulled my ass out of the jackpot like thousands of times. But I serve the president now. I swore an oath. And it's just kind of like, you don't see, like, in this new society we're building, there isn't this sort of kind of like, your loyalty is divided, like it is yeah. in war in the previous countries, and you know it just poses interesting questions on on what it means to have connections yeah. to someone who saved your life or someone that basically, like
0: you said, cool. I'll take this job. Patriotism job, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that's sort of the theme behind it is like the the government that used to exist because this happens before the Death Stranding. The government that used to exist has all this, like, hierarchy and, and power structures and things like that. Where, like, Die Hardman can't disobey this order. Um, yeah. And so, sorry, to put this in perspective, Cliff tries to run out of the hospital with his baby and he gets caught and he gets essentially gunned down. And he ends up back in the in the same room just clutching his baby to his chest and Die Hardman is put, is put in a position where he has to pull the trigger He's being ordered by the president to pull the trigger on Cliff, who used to be his captain, who saved his life, who gives him the name Die Hardman. You know, eventually, um, he does get shot. Like, like Die Hardman pulls the trigger on him and on his baby. Actually, Bridget pulls, grabs, yeah,
2: yeah, grabs his hand
0: and pulls the trigger. Yeah, with using his hand. Yeah, so, but he feels responsible for it at the same time, and it's this idea that like the this this like massive governmental overreach. They just they lied to this man. They basically killed his wife and stole his baby, and then murdered him just so they could do their science experiments. That person who pulled the trigger was Bridget, but when she shot the baby on accident, she went to the afterlife because she has that she has that power, and she like closed the wound and brought the baby back to life. Yeah, well, it doesn't really
2: super matter because it's the same person. But you know, Amelie does it right. He goes to the beach, and that's and that's how Amelie gets this relationship with. Sam, and I think it's interesting because this is what causes the Death Stranding. Like, the Last Stranding is always going to happen, but this is what led, what changed the world from maybe a BT could show up here or there to BTs and explosions all over the world at once. Like, the thin line between life and death when they brought someone back who should be dead back to life made the, you know, the death dimension too close to our dimension and poked holes all through, creating this weird sci-fi mumbo-bumbo bullshit that leads to more or less the apocalypse, the end of America, as they knew it at that point. And I think it's interesting because Bridget did it out of guilt. Bridget wanted the BB for the experiments and didn't want to kill it, just wanted to kill Unger because he was in the way, and then realized she killed this baby for no reason and felt bad about it and so going against her very nature of the end of all things saves one life and then makes the world even way worse off than it was
0: yeah because it's against her nature she she thinks of it as like a a, a cosmic karma that comes to her because she's not supposed to save people she's supposed to she's supposed to destroy them and i think that's why she was so like she was so quick to kill hunger but when she shot the baby it triggered something in her and this is all, this is juxtaposed with, like, Unger's own character. He he talks about how he was just a soldier, essentially up to the point that his, his wife got pregnant. He says, she got pregnant, and I couldn't just run off and get myself killed anymore. I couldn't just go fight these these pointless wars in pointless places just because, you know, I didn't see the value of my own life or the people around me. When I became a father, when I became connected so concretely connected to my family i became a human again and that's why he's like that's why he's trying to get his baby out of there and then in the same way amelie is like just just kill longer he's in the way but then she shoots the baby and she it's kind of unclear why she feels the need to save it it's not just to do their science thing she just truly feels bad that she killed a person she gave into her lesser instincts and did the cardinal sin of murder the ultimate disconnection and when she went back and fixed that The universe was like, fuck that, and decided to sort of do a death stranding. All this plays forward into one of the major themes of the game that we haven't even talked about yet is anti-violence. I mean, we've kind of touched on it, right? But the fact that, like, violence is a cardinal sin in the world, that they're saying that the unnecessary violence that we do to one another is not serving us as humans. It's not what we should be doing or what will ever help us move forward. In, in, the, the, in the game, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but the, nice. game,
2: the game mechanically makes you feel it in a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of unique ways. One, they give you a fuck ton of guns, and I never built them, ever. But, Early in the game, you get a bola gun that shoots a, like a, a bola that ties people up. And you can, like, knock them unconscious if you want to. That's the only gun I ever used. And I would use one maybe once in a while to get materials from terrorists to build roads. Yeah. Which, again, Jesus Christ, Kashima. It's a good <laughs> game. But, you know, they give you handguns and assault rifles. And, yeah, you use that stuff in the war place with Unger. I did use the weapons there. But they're there and they're scattered and it's a part of it. If you're playing the game for the first time, you have no idea an Unker is going to happen. Because it just sucks you through the sky into it. Yeah. After whatever the last thing you did, you're like, fuck, I'm here now. I guess, um... Yeah, they happen. to Are there assault round. rifles? Let me go find them. And they give you all these
0: weapons, and you just don't make them. You can't use them. Because if you kill people, like, at best, it's going to be a huge hassle. Yeah. Because you've got to take their body to the incinerator. And, like, when you get to the second... when you get to the main area of the game... You don't even know where an incinerator is. And it's nowhere near where you're going. So like, if you kill someone, you you have at the very least a massive problem to deal with. So much so that like, Killing is not just discouraged. It is straight up frowned upon. Like, do not do it in this game.
2: I never killed anyone in two playthroughs until right when I got the platinum trophy and I was like, okay, let's do the things I haven't done yet.
0: Yeah. Never killed someone. I played this game three times and I've I've never killed anybody except for like experimenting for game mechanics. I've never in my playthrough been like, wow, I, I should craft a gun that does real damage. Like, no. And then when you, when you fight BTs, you do commit violence against BTs. It's it's not really the same thing, even though it's like mechanically the same as, as shooting. But at the same time, you have to shoot blood at them. You have to shoot your blood, and that hurts you. And right? see, I never even used that in my playthrough. I never really attacked PTs except for cutting
2: their umbilical cord. Yeah. And when you cut the umbilical cord, a little chi- there's little chiral hands that come out of the ground that are like a resource, but they're like a weird gold hand because the game they have a lot of cool art designs. But that will come out of the ground, and then it will say. The BT gave you a like.
0: Yeah, they literally move on when you cut their mill. Bullets. Yeah, like, it's like they're being tethered to this world against their will. Yeah, you
2: don't feel like you're doing violence. You're like helping this thing move on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I like to. f I also like the fact that like when you have to when you do have to do violence, you do it with like blood bullets that hurt you back, right? The act of having to do violence, being forced to do that, physically hurts you in the game. Yeah. It's something you want to avoid. And on top of it, the game has combat, but it's not hard ever like
2: if you go to a a mule camp where they take your packages you're pretty much good with a pair of fists to take everyone out Yeah, you
0: can probably just punch them
2: and so and it's not super engaging but like i don't i you know I, i think that's because they don't want you to go around just beating people up all the time yeah they don't want you to think this is the fun part you know what i mean and when the game first starts they kind of encourage like you can sneak around here's all these sneaking options you know and you try for a bit and then someone catches you yeah and then you beat the shit out of them. And then you just do that for the rest of the game. Like, once you do it once, yeah, it, you, you never stop.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is It is kind of fun to fight them, but, like, it's kind of boring, too. It's, like, the combat just isn't that engaging, so it's discouraged to even fight people. But another thing I think is
2: interesting is the first weapon you get is a strand. And the first time you go into a mule camp, they want you to get, sneak up behind them and tie their arms up. And that's, you know, that's how you sneak around. And when you get to, not actually the final boss fight, but to me is more of the final yeah. boss fight. It's like the last, it's the, the real, the boss fight was an actual like challenge aspect and not a package related. You have your rope and
0: Higgs has a gun. And then after you beat the gun section, he has a knife, but and then after that you just punch yeah. each other. And, and Higgs <laughs> frames it at, in the beginning. He says, he says, says, who's going to win rope versus stick, you know? Yeah. And you're the rope and he's the stick and he has all the advantage, but you have to prove that, like your your rope, your strand, right, your connection, yeah, is stronger than his bullets, his his disconnection, and and, and the bet like the tools you have to fight him are
2: get close enough to him that he punches and you parry or throw packages in his face yeah, that yeah. are destroyed on the beach because you're packs. on the beach while. Amelie is in the fetal position in a web made out of barbed wire, DYK, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's so but it, look, it's visually cool. and It's a really cool fight. But just every part of like the combat, even in the boss fights, for the most part, send an anti-military message. The most engaging boss fights in terms of combat are the war one, and it makes you feel uncomfortable while yeah. you do it. And it is creepy and weird, and it shows... Three of the most horrific wars we can possibly imagine. World War One, Two, and Vietnam. Yes. All of those wars just reek of atrocities. But Like all wars, but...
0: But, well, but also Unger is... They they say Unger is actually a veteran of the Iraq wars. Yeah. You know? So, like, all of the 21st century wars, plus our, our most current debacle, just contextualizes, like, gigantic, awful, world-destroying mistakes. You know? Yeah. Like, things that should be avoided at all costs. And, that, I mean... We kind of know that, right? But we also kind of don't because, I mean, we're in America. We've been at war for 21 years now. Yeah. You know, or I guess 20 years. But the point is, the the world is, is moving more towards an endless war than it is towards any form of peace. And it's very clear that this game is a lot of Kojima reacting to that to that sort of mindset across the globe. And this philosophy is, is carried forward through the rest of the plot. It's really what the ending is all about, and we see it mostly in this handgun that Die Hardman has, because Di, it's the handgun that he shot Sam and his father with, and you know Cliff. Uh, and it ends up on the beach with them. It becomes a it becomes a totem, a thing that can be used to travel to to someone's beach. But it has no use on the beach, is the thing. Amelie literally hands it to Sam and is like, "This won't help you here, but it still has a role to play." That's what she says. And after a few cutscenes, basically Amelie is, is like, is like, I'm at the point where I am either going to destroy reality or you have to cut me and my beach off from everyone else. You have to isolate, you have to isolate me. You basically have to kill me, even though I'm like a cosmic entity that can't die. You just have to remove me from humanity. And she starts walking into the water and she's like, make, she, she literally says, by now you should know what to do. And she's like talking directly to the player because this game has been so anti-violence the entire time. And it puts the gun in your hand. And points it at her. And you, you're you like, oh, what do I do? You put the gun away, and you go into the water, and you hug your sister. Like, I think a lot of players probably don't even pull the trigger. I shot all my bullets into the water. You can shoot, but I don't think you can shoot her. But the idea is like, is like this gun won't help you here. Violence can't help you at the end of times. Only human connection can. So you put it away, and you go hug your sister. When you hug her, it, it for some reason, for sci-fi reasons, it, it, it cuts her beach off. And you, too are stranded uh, on her beach and the credits start to play but you're in this like weird to the best song ever made. Yeah, no, it's incredible. But you're like Sam has lost all his color He and you're just running around on this beach and there's nothing to do and nowhere to go and no one to see and you're just completely isolated and I think a lot of people probably turn the game off right here because the credits are rolling and it's boring as hell. There's <laughs> n- there's nothing to do and every once in a while you the credits will stop rolling and you take a few steps and Sam sits down and Amelie like Reveals some plot details to you. It sucks, right? But... That is the worst part. But, but, but... It's supposed... It's supposed to be that way. It makes you feel what, like, true isolation is. It makes you feel this... Like, what death is. There's nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No one to to talk to. No purpose. You just run aimlessly down your beach with nowhere to go. And then the credits end and you start hearing all your friends' voices. And it turns out they're using their connections, all their special powers and their connection to you. Well, Sam finally the, the credits in Sam like kneels on the beach and he's like, I don't have anything left. And he puts the gun to his head and he pulls the trigger and nothing happens. And then you start hearing all your friends' voices and they're like, oh I see him. There he is. I can get to him. And basically your friends use their abilities to like pull you back from Amelie's beach. And it was the it was you pulling the trigger on this gun that has become a totem that helps them find you. It's not, like, he tries to commit suicide, but the game says, that's not the way out. Yeah. Right? You can't, like, suicide cannot help you here. This gun, any form of violence, cannot help you here. Only your friends can. Only your connections can. Right? And they pull you out from death, and then, you know, the the end of the game happens. Now, there is a serious problem with this ending, in the
2: sense that it is unfathomably long. Yeah. It takes once you
0: cross the tar ocean to get to Cali. It's like over four hours at yeah. least. I would say it's four to seven hours of pretty minimal gameplay. It's like boss fight, cutscene, boss fight, little bit of gameplay, boss fight, cutscene, boss fight. If you take
2: it somewhat slow, and you know, I took a break this time between, you know, kind of between it. I feel like all the stuff really does think in. There's a couple of little parts where you're like, why am I fighting a giant whale in my second straight Kojima game? What is is your whale thing, Kojima?
0: (laughs) DYK! DYK!
2: But there's a Higgs fight, and it's super interesting and good. Edge Knot, you fight a giant fucking BT, and it's not a hard fight, but it's just metal, and there's Higgs and Amelie stuck in parts of its chest. And it just, everything is evocative and and interesting. And then I think after you escape this beach section, which I do think has really good themes, even though parts of it are like boring and long, the ending after that is just fucking incredible. So even though credits world, you still have a mission left and you still have a ton of closing up loose loose ends. So they pull you back in the beach and you kind of have this, I think is a pretty common thing in Japanese games and animes where it's just like, we're all the friends who did it together, you know? We did it through the power of friendship, but, like, it actually feels really good, because even though, like, Fragile's not that great of a character, and... Lachna kind of doesn't exist. Lachna absorbed Mama like she's Piccolo and Nails... (laughs) And and you know I you know I, I do like Deadman and stuff when you, they're all together and you know Hartman too I'm just gonna say all their names for no reason sure when you, when they're all together you do kind of feel like this accomplishment but there's one character Die Hardman who for honestly more than half the game they're like I don't know if we should trust him like Guillaume de Torah puts you in a shower with him so he yeah. can say a secret message to you because you can't trust Die Hardman and then you actually like have I think one of the best seats at the end of the game when you talk
0: to Die Hardman. Yeah, so D- Die Hardman takes on the presidency, and he's still Die Hardman wears the skull mask that pre- previously Bridget was wearing. And a, a lot of people wear masks in this game, and they masks just represent lies. It's it's people are hiding things. If you're wearing a mask in this game, it's because you're a liar. And Die Hardman's been lying to you the whole game. He was the one that killed your father, and he knows all he knows all the secrets, and he's changed his name. He used to be John McClane, if you can believe it. But now he's Die Hardman, I know. But now he's now he's president, Die Hardman, and he meets Sam out in the hallway, and Sam isn't gonna talk to him, but Die Hardman stops him. And he he's like, Look, you know, you you met Clifford and all that, you know what happened. And he go he starts going into this long sort of monologue where he talks about his relationship with Cliff and he starts sobbing in front of you, and he's like, That man saved my life and I I killed him. You yeah, know? He's like dumping all of his guilt yeah, on he, the Yeah, He literally is, is Falling on his, to his knees and crying at your feet. And he's like, I know you can't forgive me. And I don't think I deserve forgiveness. And at this point, he's taking his mask off. And he's just crying and, and admitting his sins. And he's like, I made these bad decisions and now I'm president. Now I have all this responsibility to these people. I mean, he he's not saying this anymore, but it, it's this idea of like, I don't even know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I deserve anything. If I deserve forgiveness or to be in the position that I'm in. And Sam unflinchingly takes that revolver that was, that was Die Hardman's that started this whole thing. And he puts it in his hands and he says, this won't help you here. Those were her words. And he, he walks away. And what he's doing is saying the past, the thing that made you who you are, the thing that made you Die Hardman, the violence that started everything that cannot help you anymore. You cannot continue to be John McClane or Die Hardman. You have to be, you have to be the president of the UCA. You have to be something new, a person who builds connections. This gun won't help you anymore. And I think it's personally, it resonates a lot with me as a veteran. It's one of the most, it's maybe, it's probably the most important message in the game in my personal opinion. That's that's how I feel about it is, is just the idea that like violence can't help you. It, it can't foster anything in people it cannot make you better it cannot make society better and we just we just have to do away with it you know that's the only answer it's hard to explain how they do it
2: better than other games anti-violence messages because you have a lot of games will have an anti-violent message and you're like yeah no shit sherlock you know it's like turns out if you beat people
0: everyone in the head with a lead pipe they'll all come back to get you at the end (laughs) yeah and you're like yeah jesus christ that's not really a lesson well mostly it's taken for granted you know, you're like, yeah, I know, thi- I know violence is bad. But the way the game shows you violence is bad, like the extreme contrast
2: of your missions versus the younger missions, or how useless guns feel, or... Or the void-outs. Yeah, know? or the void you know, or just as, as a whole, what is the purpose of society? If we're going to live together and make these rules, why are we doing it? Yeah. And it's not like the argument is like, well, the reason we have violence is to protect ourselves, there are terrorists in this world trying to kill people. You don't stop them by having a bunch of Bridges guys come out and then wiping them off the map. Yeah. Because they're going to be there. There are There is a part of society that will always be violent. But the answer isn't to be violent yourself. The answer is to bound everyone using a literal cupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is to use love and understanding and literally the fruits of our labor to help other people. Not for profit, not for personal gain, but because if there's a road here, it will help everyone. And so one thing I actually think that du- that is conveyed on you're all working together is at the end of the game, we do a mission that pretty much objectively sucks, where you have to take CryptoBytes to Fragile and go through all this shit. But my map, and I feel like everyone else's map because it was so prevalent on mine, were filled with people building Timefall Shelters which repair your packages and keep the rain out of the way. And this mission takes place in the tutorial area, where you just don't need time falls shelters. There's no reason to build them other than for the final mission of the game. It's to me pretty obvious that a ton of players did that final mission, had trouble with it, and then put shelters to help future players. Because they knew what they were going to experience. Even though it didn't help them on their run, probably. Because you can't build Timefell shelters in that you don't have the chiral network in that part. The only time you could put these shelters in is after you beat the game. And players went back and did that and no one told them to do it. That gameplay really resonates to me. The world isn't full of signs and structures meant to be weird and fuck with you.
0: The world is filled with stuff to help you out exactly and that's i mean that is the point of the game it is a very simplistic message at the end but it's just be good to each other now i need you to square this away with this kind of anti-violent
2: message with the fact that you can turn your poop into grenades <laughs> so i need you to kind of mesh those together <laughs> can you mm. don't make a poop right
0: now <laughs> <laughs> when you throw your poop at someone or something, it, you're taking something from inside of you and you're connecting it to their body. Like
2: monkey. Yeah, there's a whole interview about monkey throwing poop. There's not.
0: <laughs> uh chip is just weird. Your, your body fluids hurt BTs because you're a person that has dooms, which just means you're a person kind of connected to Amelie. And your body fluids hurt them, which includes... The, the sweat from your shower, and your piss, and your shit, and your blood, and you can make grenades out of all those things. Kojima just thinks bodily fluids are funny, because you can also pee-
2: like, another part of the, the connective gameplay is you can pee in a patch of grass- and then if other players pee there, it will eventually build a bigger and bigger mushroom. Yeah.
0: You can also, like, sleep in the same place that other people sleep, and eventually it builds, like, a, a coral. And it, both of these give you cryptobiotes, which can heal you and stuff. But it's also just super weird that he made your character able to just piss whenever they want. I, I did a whole BT boss fight where I just I just pissed on the boss for, like, a while. So I didn't have any guns, and I didn't feel like leaving. I was just like, I'm just gonna piss on this boss. It's funny. Does it do damage? No, but it it makes them like not attack you. They just get like, <laughs> they just kind of sit around and let you piss on them. I don't know, but like in Metal Gear Solid Five, there was when you get to a max connection with your horse, there's a dedicated command your yeah. horse to poop button, and then if a if a car runs over that poop, it'll spin out, and everybody in that car like gets knocked out. Yeah, and
2: every Metal Gear game has a guy shitting and pissing in the background. This is a—I kind of made a sharp transition from the anti-military metaphor.
0: Kojima just thinks poop is funny. And he's right. <laughs> <laughs> it is extremely funny to be like, here's my shit grenade, and just chuck it out of BT. Yeah. So, th- I think that kind of can be brought up a little bit, is what
2: themes kind of go against the message for example like there's this kind of like there's no currency it's kind of like it feels like there's an anti-capitalist message in my opinion oh, yeah like, you know the world's converted to likes but god damn, there's a lot of monster energy drink promos in <laughs> yeah. the game like every time you go to your room there's literally just these giant monster energy drink and you need them for stamina and then one of the porters gives you a little monster energy thing you can attach to your backpack so you just have monster hanging from your backpack
0: yeah th- this game brought to you by monster energy it- it yeah it's apparently
2: what, a bunch of Yamahas cuz riding with Norman Reedus is a TV show yes. there's a lots of motorcycle Data chips
0: hidden in the world yeah Norman Reedus has an AMC show and it's it's advertised throughout the thing and that's like probably part of his contract or something but it's also because you know he's friends with Kojima and Kojima does stuff for his friends which you you can feel some kind of way about that it's kind of nepotistic but at the same time it's like Kojima's friends are pretty awesome i like seeing them in games so yeah i i, I don't know if i was friends with like mads mickelson and I made media, I would put them in it. (laughs) Yeah, like, sometimes
2: it's just weird where you, like, read like an interview or something and it's like really making you think about like actual life and death and your purpose on this earth and then you go take a shower because you're covered in tar and then an advertisement for norman reedus shows up and yeah. then you sit down and there's monster energy drink
0: yeah or you know you get a you get a message from like the Kyle artist and the junk dealer who who are people you you've reconnected they they get married and then you get you get emails being like marriage is hard and you find out they break up later it's actually and, really fun because you carry her there and it's like, you carry her on your back and it's like kind of difficult through BT territory.
2: And like, the second they're done, she they're like, marriage sucks. And you're like, I did all of that for nothing, you ungrateful
0: <laughs> pieces of shit. Uh, but like, you get a ma- you you get an email and it's like, we broke up. And then you immediately get a tutorial message after being like, when you're tired, drink Monster Energy. You know? It's just like, <laughs> this is totally difficult to, to parse. I think I actually think my favorite thing that happened was there's a motorcycle you can build in the game called the Ride Trike, and it refers to ride with Norman Reedus' his show. And when you get on it, Norman Reedus, the or sorry, Sam, j- just constantly says like, "Whoa!" It's just like ride with Norman Reedus, and he just keeps advertising his game. But Sam also just has a bunch of a bunch of like stock things that he says, and one of them is is it like you'll just be walking around and he'll go, "I wonder if anyone's watching." But I got in a very funny situation where I got on a motorcycle and he goes. It's just like Ride with Norman Reedus. And then two seconds later he goes, I wonder if anyone's watching. Yeah, it's <laughs> just <laughs> like, I don't know, buddy. I think I think if you're a celebrity who makes a passion project about people watching you ride motorcycles, it's, pro- it's probably going to remain a passion project. He'll have a very specific demographic, and his name is
2: my dad. Yeah,
0: and Kojima, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, probably not. <laughs> he's like,
0: where are the aliens? And he's like, I yeah. see them every time. <laughs> Where's, where's the high-minded metaphors about life, death, and everything else to show about motorcycles, Kojima?
2: So now that we covered the most important part of the game, uh, poop grenades <laughs> and uh, blatant advertisement, uh, do you have some final thoughts before we lightning round?
0: Yeah. There's one thing we haven't talked about, because it's it's just like in an interview. Whenever Amelie shows up, she sings uh, London Bridges Falling Down. And in the interview, they say, we don't know where that song came from, but they think it refers to this darker idea that there was some kind of sacrifice in the foundations of the bridge. They call it an, an immurement and it's supposed to be this sort of ritualistic thing that makes the bridge stronger. And this idea is played out through the entire game. The idea that, like, Clifford Unger might have been an immurement to, like, the, the foundations of, of society in all of the not cities that you that you connect not all the preppers but the major bases the, the actual uca places there is a bridge baby that is the foundation of the chiral network it is the sacrifice on which the modern day is built it's this idea that simply saying let's all be connected let's all you know hug one another right now is not enough that there's blood in the foundations and you can read that a lot of different ways because in a lot of ways like you know sam as he treks across the this wasteland he bleeds and he suffers so that the uca can be built he was almost killed as a child we can talk about the the modern world the people that get left behind the how like america you know was built on like slavery and things like that that these sacrifices that make the modern world what it is And it's the fact that this idea that the world is built on sacrifice is embodied in someone like Amelie or Higgs shows that this game doesn't think that that is necessarily the way to do things. It's it's the way that things have been done, but the future must be different that we can't have blood in our foundations anymore. We rebuild in a, in a better way. We kind of see this in like last of us as well. The idea of like, well, what does it mean to be the last person? If you're the last human on earth, what do you do? Because everything you do now defines what being human is. And the same thing is being said here in Death Stranding, that everything this new society they're building does defines now what humanity is. There's no longer going to be blood in the in the foundations of it. And I think this game's message of of anti-military, anti-violence, anti-establishment, anti-disconnection is extremely important. And only a person like Kojima in the gaming community could make something like this or could gather the funding for something like this. It's it's really a once-in-a-lifetime game. You don't have to love it. I don't love every part of Death Stranding, but it's something that people should play, that people should experience and think about. Because it's got a message that we don't see in a medium that is soaked in, in blood in many ways. I think the function of a
2: lot of these messages works well with kind of a reality that people can't deny anymore is we just lived in, like, a pretty fucked-up society. Like, you look at any of the media now, it's just kind of about how everything is just bleak, and the future doesn't seem great. And there's that's why I really like a small theme that runs out through some of the text-based interviews, about what if the Death Stranding was evolutionarily advantageous? What if, like, kind of destroying society as it was was actually what was best for the society. And that begs the question, well, if you stripped down everything we had and you work from scratch, what would be the ideal? And I think that's a question worthy of asking. I do agree that, you know, the anti-military stuff and that, you know, is really good, powerful themes. But I think, to me, the theme that speaks the most to me is what is the platonic good notion of a good society? Yeah. What would it look like? And how could we possibly achieve that? That's a really heavy question. And I think the game asks a lot of really heavy questions. But it also kind of ends on just such a moment of beauty. Because throughout the whole game, there's a lot of using imagery in different sorts of ways to convey messages. Like, whenever the BTs show up and the time fall starts raining, there's an inverted rainbow. almost Like a frowny face. And it's interesting because rainbows in this world portend to doom and the first scene you have with igor where you're disposing the body that killed itself he goes fuck a rainbow and at that point you don't like that just, <laughs> it's just kojima nonsense but you know you quickly you learned not just that rainbows show up with time fall and and death but a whole bunch of other science mumbo jumbo that we can't get to that is all interesting and at the end of the game they tell you you uh, uh we tried to fix it But Blue, the BB strapped to your chest, doesn't work anymore. And you have to take it to the incinerator as not to risk everyone's life. And so the last mission you do is the same as the first mission you do. Where where you're taking a body, but this time it's just a baby strapped to your chest. Up to the incinerator, you put your mom. And you go over Igor's same ladders and the same ropes of the first person you've ever worked together with in the game. And then when you get there, they go over all the stuff we've already talked about, where you kind of find out that Unger was your dad, and kind of the whole plot of the game is kind of unveiled right there. But when you get there, he takes the baby out of the pot instead of incinerating it, and he puts his cufflink there instead and incinerates, you know, his connection to the UCAA. It's kind of an interesting choice to end Sam on. And he tries to make the baby wake up. And it's so tiny, and it looks so fragile in his hands, and it looks smaller than an actual baby because it's only 28 weeks old. And he just tries to wake it up, and it's Sam desperately, you know, holding a baby close to him. Which is also interesting because he's had Austin Foss's phobia the whole time, and wouldn't let anyone touch him until the end of the game. But he's holding this baby, desperately trying to make the thing that he's most connected to this world wake up, just as Unger, even in his death, was reaching out from literally his hell to get to touch Sam, that is his baby. He's found his new BB to connect to. And Baby Lee obviously wakes up because the game isn't monsters and doesn't make (laughs) you burn a baby, which you wouldn't put past Kojima. No. And you see these little BT babies floating all around. And Sam walks outside, and he's holding the baby, who's now alive. And for the first time in the game, the rainbow's the right way, and it's just Sam looking into the future, and the future for the first time in the game is actually bright. You know, Usually when I beat a game, I kind of feel this sense of, like, processing, and I'm like, wow, that's over. It's not always the, the highest, not always the lowest, but it's just kind of like a day of, like, reflection and processing. When I beat Death Stranding, the sun had just risen, because I live nocturnally, and I walked outside at, like, seven in the morning, and I just stood, or I walked to the front of my neighborhood. And was just like, the world is fucking gorgeous. Like, I had such an appreciation for everything around me. Like, it gave such a powerful feeling that I I don't get from other media. Like, yeah, there's a lot of problems in the game that we will probably cover in the lightning round. Gameplay, UI, accessibility options, weird front-loaded and back-loaded plots. But the ending of that game and some of the messages of the game have the most impact any video game is ever going to have with me. And I played this game before this cast, and then this is my second time playing it. And every time leading up to Death Stranding, I was just like, I'm so excited to play Death Stranding. Yeah. Like, it feels so good, even though there's so many little frustrating things in the game. And sometimes when you're playing the game, you're like, I guess I've just been ziplining for eight straight hours (laughs) and, like, not really doing anything. But it engages you in an intellectual way that I think is really, 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 really hard to do for games. Yeah, It puts you in a headspace that most people are reticent to be in, mostly because everything the game's talking about is pretty heavy. But you want to be there. You enjoy being in that headspace. You enjoy reflecting on everything from your body and soul to the existential threats that our actual world is facing to this day. So, a pretty good game in my book.
0: <laughs> you want to do a lightning run? Yeah, sure. So there's a line in this game that's become somewhat famous. You're on the beach at the end with Amelie, and Sam is is trying to figure out what he's been doing. He's uh, Amelie's saying, like, she's not real, that she can't be caught, and he's like, what, so I'm Mario and you're Princess Peach? And she's like, no, you're Mario, and I'm Princess Peach. And then they run along the beach like Baywatch characters. And I've heard some people talk about this as, like, an interesting moment, a really bad line... I just think Kojima has a weird sense of humor and legitimately thought it was funny. It is funny. I laughed hysterically. It the is first time. it is hilarious in a way, but it's also like the cringiest thing. It like okay, so I actually have something to say about that. Yeah, please. Throughout the game,
2: about four times they do little game metaphors, which Kojima loves kind of like breaking the wall on the game stuff. Like, when they talk about how uh, Sam can revive himself, Dead Man's like, you're the only one who gets to content you. And it's interesting because it kind of recontextualizes like a story thing to be more of like, we wanted a gameplay reason for you to exist, you know? Um, And then before you fight Higgs, he has a whole thing where he's like, Final boss fight. No bullshit. No continues and all that stuff. And so this one, which is like the last one in the game after you ostensibly beat any part of the game that's going to be remotely a challenge. Like after that, you hug Amelie, you carry a a baby to Incinerator. That's it. That's all that's really left in terms of pressing buttons and you you that you feel that like you think that's the end of the game because you just fought higgs and it felt like a final boss fight and he told you it'd be a final boss fight and you're like okay i think i'm done with this game and then she says she says this ridiculous line that i one i like it because it's like the history of games it's kind of interesting to think of it that way but you're slow motion running on the beach and you're like what is going on and then she's like one second i have to climb over this hill and you're like what and then Bridget's over there, not Amelie, and Die Hardman's there, and Unger rises yeah. from the ocean, and you're like, oh, we have a lot to go, don't we?
0: Yeah, because, like, you're forgetting, you haven't even finished Unger at this point in the game. Yeah, you're like, I and don't even know who he is! I, yeah, I am certain most players are like, oh yeah, he's in the game. Because, like, his 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 fights in the, in the wars are, like, interesting, but only in retrospect, because they happen basically at random throughout the game. Yeah. And nobody has anything to say about it. They're just like, that was weird. And they just keep moving on. You just have to accept that that happened. That you got taken to some hell. And you're back. And it's time to go on deliveries again. Yeah. What are they, the cast of Final Fantasy VII? Like, was that Sephiroth? Don't ask questions! <laughs> just not ask
2: about that. Keep moving and you'll show up at the end. Will we learn? Just stop it!
0: <laughs> stop asking questions! It brings me to my my next point, which is just a comment. It's my favorite line in the game, actually. It happens right after you beat Higgs. So you beat Higgs and Fragile was like, you leave Higgs to me. Like, you don't kill him. I kill him. And so you leave Higgs with Fragile and you walk away to go talk to Amelie. And then Fragile comes back a little while later and hands you Higgs' golden mask and, she, and goes, I brought you a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... Kojima, you can't, you can't say it out loud, and <laughs> you can't just be like, "Here's, here's your metaphor, huh? What are you wearing all this for? Is you, you got a secret you want to tell us? Why are you wearing a mask?" <laughs> it's just like no one talks like that, which
2: is like a good summation of all the characters in this game.
0: Yeah, there are points in the game where Kojima does not take the game seriously, and it just well, he takes it seriously, but he wants you to like take a step back and be like, "We're it's still a game. We're still, you know." I want you to like not get bogged down in what's happening and just kind of enjoy it on a, on a more surface level. And it's just, it's just very funny to just hand, hand him a mask and be like, I brought you a metaphor. It's like, yeah, I, get, I got that. And it's like,
2: after you've just played a game where like, Hartman lives next to a giant heart-shaped lake and every name constantly is just like,
0: this is what my character's about. <laughs> my name's Mama. My name's Fragile. Speaking of names, this frustrates the hell out of me throughout the game. Every time Die Hardman calls you, which is a lot, always starts with going sam or hey there sam he just he always starts with your name and you would think that like should be a good thing like when you talk to someone maybe use their name right but it's just he talks so much and it's 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 always at the worst times that every time your codec rings every time somebody calls you're just like it's fucking diehard and you just hear sam i have something to tell you and sometimes you're just walking around it's like sam you see those footprints behind you they're proof you exist Be proud of those footprints. It's like, this is the third time you've called me to tell me that. I I
2: like to imagine that he's just bewildered that you have an actual name. He's (laughs) going to call Sam Man, and Dead Man's like, his name's Sam. Can we call him Bridges? No, that's our
0: thing. What about Delivery Man? Can we call him Porter? His name is Sam. Just call him Sam. Sam like Uncle Sam, I get you. No, his name's just Sam. Amelie's name is Amerigo America Strand. And Amelie is French for no soul. <laughs> like, they literally say it in an
2: interview that, like, one means soul, and one, or soul lie. Yeah. One means soul and one means lie. But yeah, I just like to pretend that every time Diarman he, calls you, he's a piece of paper, and he's like, Hey, um, Sam? Sam, right? That's a bomb you're carrying. <laughs> Think of which, you do carry kind of a lot of bombs. Yeah, like like
0: four or five?
2: Yeah, four or five. I think it's four. Four. Sounds right. Uh, I think, sorry, the first one Higgs makes you carry, and you're just thrown to a lake, and it's kind of fun.
0: I've heard people complain about that, because they make it super obvious it's a bomb. It's like you put it on your back, and it's like glowing red, and you look at the tag for it, and it says like, antimatter nuclear bomb, and it's like... I don't know why they tell you up front, because if you do carry it to your destination, it explodes the city, but you're supposed to, like, go talk to Fragile, and then she finds out it's a bomb. She's like, it's a bomb, and you're like, I know. I I think it's
2: just, like, kind of a weird joke, because Higgs is so like, Higgs gives you the bomb, and he's so transparent, he's like, oh, I got... I got this package. It's, like, a black package. <laughs> it's, it's so, and it's so a bomb.
0: transparently Higgs. And
2: and then it literally is labeled an antimatter bomb, not just on the tags, but, like,
0: when you put it in your cargo and you sort your cargo, it's like, that's a bomb. And you're like... Yeah. It's just... It's okay. Very, it's very weird that the that the voice actors have to, like, play it straight. Because you bring it to, to Fragile and she's like, open it up. Oh my god, it's a bomb. And like, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, It says bomb on the label. Yeah, I love it because it's fun and silly because, like,
2: Higgs and... Like, when you re- you get, like, all these uh, interviews with Higgs about, like, his, like, diary, basically. And I like that he's kind of, like, he kind of comes off more like a Tom and Jerry kind of thing. <laughs> where he's just like, I try to stop Sam. Ah, oh, but he's immortal. <laughs> Why are all my plans so
0: bad? Uh, yeah, he was, he was headed to Mountain Knot. I painted a tunnel on the side of a mountain, <laughs> and I thought he would walk into it and die.
2: <laughs> so this actually leads to one of my favorite little, like like, side quests you can do. All throughout the game, there's this one prepper right next to the main city in central area, which is Lake Not, called Peter Inklet. And he keeps sending an email and they all say urgent. And all of them are like tragic, where it's like, my it's my first is like my wife's birthday, and all she wants is pizza. Can you bring me pizza? <laughs> but also keep it flat. If you keep it flat, so it'll fuck up the pizza. And also make sure it's not cold. So they're like time deliveries where you have to keep a package flat. The only sort of delivery where that's the case. Yeah. And then later it's like, my dad is dying. His last witch is pizza. And they all get like more and more tragic. And they all ask you to bring pizza from objectively hard in faraway places and they put more and more restrictions on it. The most egregious is there's this place called the Timefall Farm where there's no roads leading to it. It's the bottom of a waterfall. And you're like, ah, I can just zip line. But no, you have to carry champagne you can only hold
0: in your hands. Yeah, you can't put the champagne on your back. You have to carry it in your hands. A thing you can do, but it means you can't use zip lines or vehicles or anything like that. You have to walk. And Peter Ingler and the in the Timefall farm are on opposite sides of the continent. Yeah, it's the northernmost and the southernmost part of the map. Yeah, it's absurd. Uh, and, and
2: then you have to carry it. And then it gets... The most extreme is you just go to Ejnot City and you come back and Amelie's disappeared and you fought a giant BT and now Cairo clouds are everywhere and you get an email... From the first prepper, the highest peak in the game <laughs> is where he wants his fucking pizza delivered from. <laughs> so, so why it's torrentially downpouring timefall. You have to like go all the way up to the first prepper and take this pizza down. And then when you take the pizza down to Peter Inglis for the final time, he finally lets you in to his home and he's fucking Higgs. He's just Higgs fucking- the whole time demanding pizza. And, like, his wall looks like fucking Charlie from Always Sunny with all these, like, lines yeah. and conspiracy shit all over the wall. And pizza is everywhere. <laughs> and, like, all the messages on the wall are like, Amelie, my angel of death. Or cold pizzas for dogs. Hot pizza for life. <laughs> You're just like, what is this guy? And it's just like... And it's cool because Peter England is the last place you can connect to the UCA. So, like, once you do that final mission, it connects to the UCA. But you ne- you probably never thought twice about it. Every time you go to Peter England. It's the places where it's raining the hardest. It's full of chiralium all around his house. I'm like, oh, of course it is. It's Higgs. Yeah. And, like, Higgs has been following him. He's like, yeah, he's just right there next to the main city, just fucking with your day all the time, demanding pizza through email every once in a while. And Like, it's just a cool addition to this villain.
0: Yeah, and that's where you get, like, all of his memory chips, right?
2: Earlier in the game, around, like, 1000 on like, abandoned freeways, you can find, like, random memory chips that are a random person's diary, but it cannot be more clearly Higgs. Yeah. And when you read them, it's a Higgs when he's still good. And you hear a lot of people talk about Higgs, where it's like, he used to be a porter, he used to be like one of us, and then he just went crazy and turned into a terrorist. And in those messages, you can hear him talking about fragile and... It's actually just interesting looking at the world. Like I showed one to Ross I really like where he talks about one of the random porters that he used to work with. He just looks up in the mountain and just sees a void out and he knows it's his friend. It kind of reinforces the scale and severity of everything everything in the world. And then when you get the final memory trips at Delivering Last Pizza, all of them are just like, and then I'm going to stop Sam tomorrow.
0: Like <laughs> he's like pinky in the brain. Yeah, it really like the is. same thing we'll do every night. Try to stop Sam from delivering. But I do find that interesting because the, the way they characterize Higgs is just like kind of a normal person. And we talked about this way earlier. But everyone in this game, not just the preppers, is just trying to deal with the Death Stranding. Just trying to to cope with a world they don't understand anymore. A world they're wholly disconnected from. And for Higgs, it was a turn to outright existentialism and nihilism. He just decided life isn't worth living, nothing is worth saving. And Amelie's kind of doing the same thing. She's trying to to deal with her identity as an EE and identity as a person. And Sam's doing the same thing, trying to work out... Where he belongs in the world, you know? In a, in a world that, like, isn't built for him. A world that he has to build for other people, but that doesn't make him happy, you know? It's just interesting that, like, that theme isn't just something you see in preppers. It isn't just so- something you get out of interviews and emails. It's something you see in every single person in the game. Mm-hmm. Everyone here is just trying to make sense of their world. All the way down to, like, Die Hardman crying at your feet as the president. It's this idea that, like, even the president, even this, this powerful person who was kind of your enemy for a while, is just trying to fucking deal.
2: Yeah, and I I kind of want to stress this a lot because it's in people's instinct in games to when they see a bunch of text and oh my god there's a lot of text yeah uh, to to like ignore it and I think that's what you, I did if you read the text when they give it and it's kind of easy to tell when this is going to be a real email a real interview or not like an interview will be like sometimes your stamina runs low and you're like this isn't really story building but if you read the information as you get it it tells stories in really interesting ways. So another example of, of, of two things I want to touch on that I think are good text-written things in the game is you get the Lucy reports, which yeah. is Sam's wife, albeit it is incredibly fucking difficult to get all the Lucy reports because they're locked to orders that don't always pop up and you will have no way of knowing without looking it up. Yeah. So like, to that- maybe near the end of the game, just
0: look the Lucy reports up on Wikipedia. Yeah. To put that in perspective... Me and Joey both put in over 100 hours in this game. I platinum the game. Joey now has a platinum trophy in the game. Neither one of us has all the Lucy reports. And I know which ones to look out. Like, I was trying to
2: grind them, and I'm like, that's it, just going to Wikipedia. Yeah. Because I was, like, taking all the deliveries from a fucking terminal to spawn new ones, and it still wouldn't spawn. And no one online really knew if it spawned completely at random, or you had to do other missions to make them. Bad system to deliver this particular report. But I think it's the most interesting reports in the game. Lucy basically talks about being Sam's therapist and helping him overcome his osenphosophobia. She basically says that people that she was born before the stranding. And
0: she's like, I think this beach thing is just a figment of our imagination. And she doesn't believe because before the death stranding happens, people haven't actually seen BBs. They like some people are talking about beaches and BBs and BTs and stuff but nobody's actually seen them. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting to look at, like, oh, yeah, there would be doubt in this world, even with
2: kind of, like, well, I've been there. And, like, Sam proves it to her by killing himself in front of her and waking up and being like, look at all these marks on my body from me dying, because I'm a weird person. And then the other interesting thing is, and you could only get this information post-game, is Lucy figures out the Amelie cause of death stranding thing by resurrecting Sam. She basically just says... You know, all the horrible pieces fit together in my head.
0: And then she takes a bunch of pills and kills herself. Yeah, Amelie comes through in a dream and explains it, I think. Yeah, like a, a nightmare. Because she's... Sorry, I'll, I'll just to preface. Lucy is carrying Sam's child. Sam has Dooms, which is a direct connection to Amelie. And it gives you, like, apocalyptic nightmares. And Lucy is getting secondary... Secondhand apocalyptic nightmares from her child inside her. It's a given, but DYK. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's really interesting, because... She killed herself because she couldn't deal with, like, the horror of this reality. And it's just, and it it turns Sam into the Sam that we see. Like, she says in one of the last interviews you can get before the postgame, I think Sam will not have problems with Austin Phosphophobia again. She literally
0: says, I I think I cured him.
2: Which, a little bit, is her rating her sexual prowess a little too well. (laughs) It's like, because it's right after they have sex, she's like... I don't, I think I fixed his osophosophobia, which is the most... Uh, uh, He's got no problem with my
0: connections. The cockiest therapist sex call I could ever imagine. <laughs> don't worry, she very professionally quits her job after. You know, like Harley Quinn. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what I also, what I find interesting also about this is the fact that Sam wasn't there. He was out doing Porter stuff. Yeah. And it actually mirrors what Cliff was talking about at the end. Cliff, Cliff is like, "Oh, I can't, I can't just go off to war and get myself killed anymore. I have a a son, you know, I have, I have a baby on the way." And Sam's connection to his therapist and his, his child like wasn't strong enough, so he, he was gone, you know, when she needed him. And it was like Sam carries that weight throughout the whole game. He doesn't, he doesn't ever talk about it, but it's the reason he's so disconnected from people now. Is because he wasn't there when he needed to be. He was out doing. Something else, you know. Maybe he was doing Porter stuff. I don't really know, but she needed him, and he wasn't there, and he feels like a failure. And that—that's really the message of the game. When people die alone and sad, it is a failure of the people around them.
2: Yeah, and it's just also interesting because we said all Sam ever says about Lucy, he's basically just t- tells Hartman, "Yeah, I, I lost my my wife and child." Yeah, and he never ever talks about it. all you can find about it is in the interview, and it's like. Yeah, it would make sense that that character can never open up about it. Yeah. So one thing, you know, we didn't talk a lot about dooms. Like, there's so many little, like, terminologies in the game that are mostly there to be thematic or metaphors, if you will. People whose dooms have chiral allergies, and I think other people have chiral allergies, too. Yeah, it's not just people with dooms. It's just... But, like, everyone with dooms has a chiral allergy. Yes. But in the weeds of the science. Yeah, it's,
0: it's kind of unclear. Who, who but they
2: cry. To. We, uh, when uh, close to Chiral. Like, just tears stream down their cheeks. Like, you know, it's not an ugly cry. It's just, you know, two tears around each cheek or whatever. Every time they introduce a character that they're immediately going to do a chapter about, you
0: see the, they, you see a Chiral cry. And I don't know why other than just looks interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure, but every character is introduced for their chapter crying. Yeah. You know, to, to some degree. I mean, they're, they're not like, they're not like sobbing, but they are, there's just always tears running down their face. I don't know why. Yeah, it's well, just... Interesting.
2: It just, like, frames it. And, like, the one time it kind of stood out is... Hartman does it when he... The first time, you know, they do the Hartman chapter. But then he describes his wife and kids, and he turns around, and he's crying again. But this time, you're like, oh, he's crying because he's talking about his wife and kids. Yeah,
0: it's it's a legitimate cry. And it, it hits home, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it hits home really well. And it's just a really minor thing in the game, but I think it, like... I don't think it has
0: to mean much to be, you know, authentically interesting. Yeah. And uh, you can speculate on it. I mean, like, like every character... When you do a character's thing, you're going to learn about their backstory, and everybody kind of has a tragic backstory. So, in their chapter, they start out crying because you know you're going to learn, like, the tragedy that made them who they are. Maybe the characters are just like, we live in a sad world. We've lived sad lives. Yeah, and everyone
2: kind of struggles alone until connections are made. Yeah. Like, Hartman is isolated in his little bunker. I'm kind of spitballing her. But Mama literally won't leave her fucking place because she's taking care of that baby. And uh, who gives a shit about Fragile? Who? Uh, (laughs) Greg, sorry. (laughs) but you can at least kind of evoke an emotion. So I'll ask you about another thing in the game that kind of has a symbolism thing and tell me if it evokes anything inside of you. Dream catchers. No. Kipus. No. Cool. (laughs) They talk about it a lot. Sam has a dream catcher. She has a Kipu. It kind of has that chiral thing where they're like, they both have necklaces. They're similar, but they're different and they kind of have purposes, but.
0: They're, um, I don't know what the fuck. They call them totems, right? And what they are is they represent connection. So, like, Sam's dreamcatcher was made by Amelie. And through it, they have a connection. It's the reason he can go to her beach, you know? Like, I'm know- pretty
2: sure it's just, like, rope is
0: involved. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't know why she has a kipu. I mean, originally, kipu was used by, like, the Aztecs or somebody. And it was an accounting system. It was literally knots in a rope. And it was used for, like, accounting. In this case, it's it's just, a like, a chiral necklace that she wears. But you know, it's it's all thematic. Uh, the gun itself is a is a totem and stuff like that. But like, why those specifically? I mean, Sam's, they explain it in interviews, and they're like, "Those are the interviews." I'm like, I don't. I mean, fucking Sam's care. ruled by like nightmares and stuff. Uh Dreamcatcher makes some thematic. Yeah, it did not help a lot of things. It doesn't do anything. I don't know. In fact, the kipu was when the when the first images were released for the game. The, it showed Amelie wearing her kipu. And people actually decoded it. It was a coded message and it like linked to a... It was the it was the melody for some Low Roar song that had been written like a year before. And Low Roar is the band that plays like most frequently or is most well known for, for this game. Yeah, they have like 20 songs in the game. Yeah, so like Kojima made a trailer that ended with an image with a coded message that linked to just the music. And it's like... I mean that's... It's the most Kojima thing I've ever heard. It
2: It really is. And then there's one more interview that I think is just, like, kind of interesting to think about that I want to mention that some people miss. There's a little scanner on your shoulder your babies connect to, and it scans the area and it shows you, like, where the packages could go, terrain stuff, and it's, it's an interesting gameplay addition. And it you know it shows you where the BTs are, the little, little it's hard to explain, but it's like a weird satellite thing that spins yeah. in faces. It
0: sends out pulses and shows you important information.
2: But, like, the way the little antenna acts is a proxy for how the baby is feeling. You know, like when the baby is autoxemic, the thing goes limp and it goes in front of your field of vision when you're in first person mode. And like, for example, I noticed that there's a part where you go to the beach to fight Higgs. I super noticed my order deck is missing because I hit R1 the whole fucking game (laughs) just out of habit. I think it's a cool gameplay conceit. But there's one interview that explains why it's called an order deck because of course there is because everything's named after something for some reason.
0: And And he's got two names and it's all Greek.
2: And Hartman or Deadman send you an interview talking about how Sigmund Freud observed a behavior in a child where when a mom left, he would take a spool of thread and let the spool go underneath the couch. And because the kid didn't understand object permanence, it was gone, but he would pull the thread back and then the object would come back and it would give the kid a sense of control and then be able to relate it to his mother being like, oh, she didn't leave just randomly Right, there's some reason or order to the universe for when things disappear, and they name the order deck after that. And I don't really get the one-to-one connection between those two things, but sure as hell an interesting thing to think about.
0: I think. Yeah, I, I can't say I I get it either. I mean, I, I could speculate wildly, but I don't really. I don't know if the significance matters. It's just it illustrates like how much thought and attention Kojima puts into like every aspect of his games, maybe to a fault. You know, yeah, <laughs> to the point where he's like, "Yeah, this thing's named after a Sigmund Freud experiment," and it's like, "Sure." Like, Mama's name is like Malingan, you know, and that means something. Like, Mama means something, Malingan means something, and Lochna means something. When they're all together, it means something. It's, it's just like, like I said, everything's got two names, and it's all Greek, but it all means something to Kojima He's trying to, he's trying to, say something. This actually brings me to an interesting way of thinking about this game. Something I, I, I've struggled with is I think like the plot in general, overshadows the message. Like, I think the amount of just sheer stuff that Kojima puts into the game really overshadows and confuses the themes of the game, right? Like, it's harder to recognize what the game is doing because you're like, you're like, what, is, what does Malingan mean? Why does he have a dream catcher? What the hell is an extinction entity? Where's Amelie? Is she alive? Is she dead? Is she on the beach? Was she Bridget? What's going on, you know? I feel like that's,
2: I mostly agree, except for the it's more like, What is Amelie? Why is Amelie? Is this really
0: Amelie again?
2: (laughs) What are you saying, Amelie? Why am I naked with Amelie again?
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ, Amelie! Yeah, I mean, Amelie is by far the worst, right? But, like, this whole game feels pretty convoluted and difficult to follow. You've got, like, it's cool when you you bring everything together and when you spend as much time on it as we did, but that's way too much to ask for the average player. Most people aren't going to read the emails and the interviews and stuff. And so when Hartman is just sending you constant emails being like, being like, Ammonites had umbilical cords. You're like, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to ignore it. And I think by turning people's brains off like that, they also stop thinking about the things you want them to think about in the game. Yeah. You know, this is my belief in the game and it, it comes down to uh, both plot and gameplay. I think the game should just be smaller. It should be like half the size it is. I don't really want a smaller map because again, I love traversing the map. But stuff like zip lines, I don't want them. I want to walk. Strong um, disagree on that, but I understand the main point. Um, stuff, Love zip lines. Stuff like cars, cars suck in this game. They're all floaty and garbage. I also like those. I don't. I don't want. I mean, roads are interesting. I'm fine with roads. Cars could be better. Driving is just bad in this game. I think you don't have to feel that way. But my point is, the game is just is so big and bloated in a way that like Kojima is trying to put every thought he's ever had about this into it and while it's fascinating to look at it's really hard to parse what is important versus what is just Kojima doing his thing
2: so I agree and disagree with a lot of that so one thing I'll say with Kojima is if you look at Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 3 which I all think are fucking fantastic those were those tight experiences where the games are ostensibly the first time you play them 10 to 20 hours and then after that like 10 hours with skipping some amount of dialogue because you know everyone Because she was never not going to have people talk a lot. (laughs) And, you know, those worked and those games were really deep and every room was really smartly done. And, you know, there was a lot, like, it had tons of replay value. But I think with the Metal Gear 5, I don't want to talk about 4 because that game is just fucking weird. Yeah. And it actually has, like, no gameplay in that game. That game was just one long movie, basically.
0: Actually, Metal Gear Solid 4 held the record for the longest cutscene in games. Until Death Stranding, yeah,
2: and it had the shortest gameplay of the Metal Gear Solid up to that point. If yep. you actually took room to room, I think there's a push to games to kind of have this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm a college student. I bought a game for the summer. This is the game I'm gonna play. So Metal Gear Solid Five had this thing where it's you keep playing, you keep having missions. It takes a lot of hours to do like one complete file of Metal Gear Solid Five. I put I put 300 hours into my file, to 100. percent Yeah, and I think I think that was designed on purpose like that, and that's what they're doing with this game. Because that's kind of what people have been looking for in games more. And that comes for better or worse. I really do enjoy, like, the length of this game at points when I'm doing kind of, like, side questy packages just to make preppers have a higher connection level. That's really fun. I don't, I'm not always 100% engaged in the game. I'll be okay i I made these routes. I made these infrastructures to make my routes better i'm going to watch community and and play this game, and I find that a, like a valuable thing in games. It's similar to in an RPG where I like to grind. This game has an element where you can just kind of shut your brain off and play for a bit, but also you can do the part of the game that makes you super use your brain. <laughs> And to be actively looking for all these little details and and really listen to what they're saying. And so I think it's nice to have a game that kind of does both of those things. But because of that, it forces this backloading and frontloading thing. Because one thing I didn't like about Final Fantasy VII Remake, not to constantly talk about that. No, we can shit on it all day. Was I could never have that moment where i just fuck around and do nothing. Because I'd walk two steps and then someone would be like, Hey, Cloud, Good job. And, like, I paused my fucking show and turned the volume up for that, and it would never have a moment where I could just do combat for a little bit, or in this game, just deliver stuff. So I think there's good value in that. And the cars are floaty and weird, but I enjoy it because just silly shit happens. Yeah. Like, you hit, like, you will just break physics sometimes, and, like, it's just kind of a fun diversion from, like, what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to make it seem like I think these things are necessarily bad. Much in the way that you, you pause with this person that wants to that wants to have like, like a long game that they play. That's As me. <laughs> this mysterious person who probably doesn't exist. As I've grown older and the more games I play, over time I've wanted my games to become shorter and tighter experiences where their messages are clear, and I don't have to grind for 30 hours just to, like, 100% something that's not really worth doing. That's fair, but well, that's kind of what AAAs are now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like, I think this game was built more from a AAA design, of being like, oh, it's a big open world thing. You can do whatever you want. Well, not whatever you want, but like you can you can play in this sandbox for a long time when it didn't need to have all that, and it would have made the plot tighter instead of being like, I definitely forgot about Unger by the last time he showed up, you know, because it's been twenty hours since I saw him. But like I I talked I talked before outside of the cast about about like a game called a uh, Spirit Fair. It's this little it's a little indie game that came out a couple of years ago where you are the ferryman to the afterlife and you have to like manage a bunch of spirits that come on your boat and you do that through like feeding them the food they like and giving them hugs and things like that and trying to finish their unfinished business and some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are just unlikable but you have to you have to be there you have to help them move on no matter what that means and it's a game with a very similar message to this it's much shorter and much tighter i don't think you can i don't think you feel that game in your bones in the same way that you do with Death Stranding, but at the same time, like, I appreciate that that's, you know, like a 10-hour game, instead of I spent 100 hours on this game, you know, and I still don't think I fully understand everything that happened. And and that's another thing with with kind of analyzing games like this, is
2: like, but also all this stuff is optional. So, like, what is the hours for this game if you only
0: did the stories? I can't even guess. It's certainly not, it's certainly not super long if you only do the story, but I think I think it's a little disingenuous to to think like people don't seek the content or like don't mm. have to because I think you do. I think if it's there, people it is expected that people are going to play. Yeah, it, you no know? fair. So I I don't think everybody's you know going to platinum this game. That's that's asking a bit much. But like people are going to do a lot of of just there's definitely going to be a lot of days for most players that are just spent doing deliveries and nothing else mm-hmm. and progressing no amount of story and that's not necessarily bad. It's just not what I'm looking for in games. Yeah, I get
2: that, but especially for me with the Kojima game, is you're just like, do I really want to move forward with whatever Amelie has to <laughs> say? I'm gonna keep delivering milk to the mountaineer. <laughs> yeah, I Cause say, I like him. I will say the plot turns me off from continuing it quite a bit. So I think a lot of the preppers like have like interesting and like you know cool things to say. But some of them are fucking weird. There's this guy, the novelist's son, and you're like, oh, he's like talking about books and stuff. Nope, just talks about gourds. For what reason, I don't know, and I've read all of the goddamn emails in this game. Yeah,
0: he, re- he talks about gourds like they're, like they're some cosmic apotheosis that he's, that he's experiencing. Like, I can't believe everything in the world is gourds. And you're like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's just a weirdo.
2: And there's also, like, once you get to Hartman, there's three peppers you have to connect. The geologist, paleontologist, and evo-devo biologist. It's just really weird that, like, all the scientists live in the mountains and you nothing. Yeah, there's like also the roboticists people. in the mountain. Like, what are they doing? Like, a lot of their emails are super weird. Like, one of them, the geologist, the paleontologist, is like, Hartman's, like, pretty fucking selfish. Like, he's just <laughs> going and caring about his family and not really caring about, like, the future of the world. And he's like, but I get it. Fuck the world. And you're like... That was a fucking intense email from yeah. the geologist. Right. Also, the elder dies. I think that's what really, we found that out. Oh, L- that's L- so cool. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. like, you just delivered him, and, like, I already five-starred him a long time ago, and then Ross was just hanging out, and I delivered him, and then his hologram was a BT, and I'm like, look, 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 stream, look. <laughs> and then we're like, it's a BT, and then I get an email, and it says, like, farewell, old friend, and we're like, what? And then yeah. you get several emails
0: about his death. He just wrote you a death message. It's, like, very cool, because the first thing you do to the Elder is, like, deliver a pacemaker, and he's like, you saved my life. And then you five-star him, and then, I guess, in the post-game, he probably dies, right? But he dies, and, and like, a, I guess a BT's living in his house or something. It's just kind of cool. Don't know what happened to his body. Really hope somebody picked that up. What are the things that you think are most egregious in the gameplay elements of the game? Oh, for the worst... The worst thing, I think, in this game is the UI in general. You look at, like, your world map, and it's just cluttered with so many objects... And it's good that they're there, but there's no way to filter them uh when you make any kind of delivery it'll it'll like list out all your packages and all their damage and how long you took and exactly how the person felt about that and how many likes you're gonna get and it tells you how that affects your your big star and it gives you like an arbitrary amount towards your like porter level and your porter level doesn't really mean anything except it kind of upgrades your stats and when you're in combat, you have like a very tiny little uh health bar that you can't even read and a tiny little stamina bar and there's at least Five different elements of that stamina bar. Like, at any given time, your maximum stamina is decreasing, your usable stamina is decreasing, your you could, active, active stamina you can could be, be losing your active stamina. So there's like, there's like the stamina you can use, the stamina you can't use, the stamina that will never come back, the stamina that you're losing faster and will make you fall over and that's just the stamina bar there's at least two different health bars yeah there's like Uh, blood and consciousness and they're overlaid
2: over each other yeah it's It's
0: tiny as fuck it's incredibly hard to read and it's supposed to be minimalistic but at the same time it's like it's too small the text in the game is too small they did add a large text feature but it doesn't really help a lot Um, and it's only it's not in it's only on the main menu it's not in the options. Yeah, menu. you have to go. You have to go to the title screen, which most people never will past starting the game. Exactly. So you probably don't even know it exists. I, so for this game, like I like this game a lot, but I
2: also but there's a couple things. I would. I like playing it on the PS4 because I like the controller aspects. Yeah, there's a baby speaking to your control that can be annoying, but it's also good the first time you play it. In my opinion, It's immersive. And 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 the rocking the controller thing is nice, and the holding the shoulder pads thing is. But I almost would like to play it on PC because to play this game, I literally had to move my couch like six, like six feet closer to my TV.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, it is really Which made living
2: in my apartment difficult.
0: (laughs) But like, even like I play on a TV that's, you know, two feet from my face and I don't necessarily have trouble reading anything, but there's so many things on the screen at one time when you're, when you're delivering packages, when you're taking orders, when you're trying to set your cargo load and things like that. It's just there's so much going on most of the time you you just glaze your eyes over and you don't see anything that's happening. Like the most I know about any cargo I'm taking is probably how much it weighs and whether or not it's time sensitive and sometimes not even those things. Another thing is there's there's different inventory menus. There's like you have your inventory and you have the inventory in the nearest vehicle, and you have your private locker and your shared locker where you can give items to other players. And I understand why the shared locker is different, but when you're in the when you're in the inventory and all those things are available, it's like why can't why can't I go to my private locker from like my normal inventory? Why can't exactly. I craft from that? Why do I have to keep going into an inventory, doing something, going out of it, going to a different in- inventory, doing something there that I may have to go back to my first inventory and like reset packages from there? It's like just put it all together, you know. Why are all these all these UI elements so separate? And it it's just it makes it immensely frustrating to play in a lot of ways. Like the once you're out on the road, it's great, but like just getting the packages on your back can be a struggle. And there should be like any accessibility
2: features, you yeah, know, literally like anything would be nice. You, there should definitely be an option to be like maybe like don't piss off my roommate with baby noises, maybe colorblind stuff, maybe a better larger text that you can dynamically affect while you're playing the whole game. Just like obvious accessibility stuff that like, you know, we're like the future. We started, yeah. we started doing that with our
0: games. Kind of should just exist at this point. I
2: don't think Ross is as impressed by this as much as I am. But there is a uh, Conan O'Brien gives you an otter hood and he says it turns you into an otter. And when you're in the water, your baby doesn't like it. But when you have the otter hood on, it doesn't get upset because when you fall down a river, you're always on your back like an otter who has a little baby on its tummy And it's like that's how otters take care of their babies. That shit's so fucking cool. That is how otters work. And otters are—he's right. I'm not as impressed. Yeah, otters are cute. So yeah, yeah. I knew. I knew. Let me see otter. (laughs) Otter. If I told you before, you're gonna cut in editing, aren't you? (laughs) I know. The last thing I want to say is there's parts of this game that sometimes you're like, that doesn't seem to fit. But does it not fit because they wanted to do that, or did they do that because they were trying to be more like a more normal and accessible game? in a non-violent game about delivering packages, there's a weird amount of boss fights. And I guess they're not all bad, but, like, you always have to fight these BT Cthulhu monsters. And just throwing your blood at them, and it's really easy. And, like, you fight Unger, which is kind of fun, but it's also, like, bad, like, it's, the environments are good, but, like, it's not, like, it's not particularly exciting gun mechanics. But there's one boss fight that I think has that, you you know, we mentioned already, but it has that unique Metal Gear that they did really creatively, which we already talked about, where you fight and. After you beat Higgs, they do, again, the thing they did in Microsoft 4, where it's like an old-school fighter, where you have health bars, and you're just beating the shit out of each other. And it's more of an interactive cutscene than it is, like, a fight scene. And, like, it literally, like, punches him and does, like, the slow-motion thing where, like, his face gets all fucked up. And after you beat him in the tar, you drag him to the beach, and Fragile's like, he's mine. And Fragile's gonna, like, torture and murder him.
0: She doesn't, but yeah... It's implied that's what she's gonna do. And I guess you're kind of cool with that, because you just let her go.
2: Yeah, and like, as Sam walks away, Higgs looks, looks him right in the eye and says,
0: You owe me a pizza. <laughs> you actually do. If you, don't, if you don't do all his pizza missions beforehand, he sends you a message being like, Oh, you delivered all my pizzas except for the one that I really wanted. He literally sends you an email being like, I owe, You owe me a pizza. Yeah, you're the only one who deliver all the pizzas. It's the best part of the game. <laughs> yeah, I just forgot because the game's so fucking long. In fact, it takes so long, you might say it takes to the ends of time. If you ca- if you catch my drift, we're doing
2: Crown Trigger next time. It's becoming difficult to transition into what game <laughs> we're doing because they're related, but not that related. But also, this is probably a palate cleanser for people who are like, "That was a weird, fucking weird ass game." Yeah. Um, and now we're doing one of the all-time greatest games. In my opinion,
0: at one point, my favorite game of all time, if not still. That's fair. It's it's many people's favorite game of all time. Or many people call it the best game of all time. Often the best RPG of all time. Chrono Trigger has uh, quite, quite a history. And uh, we're going to try to examine why that is. So uh, we put a little Easter
2: egg in for those of you who listen. We hid, I believe, three quotes from our original final fantasy 7 podcast if you find those quotes and add us we will send you a copy of detroit become human also if you add us at at boss for door we will send you our copy of detroit become
0: human <laughs> i'll admit it's it's a spanish box but that makes it like a collectible right so anyway if you interact with me on twitter in any way i will send you a copy of detroit become human only one the only the first one yeah, we, only we, also, we also have an email at uh, podcast at gmail.com, so if you want to send us anything, uh, feel free.
2: Yeah, and if you send us hate mail, we'll probably read it because we're
0: that desperate for engagement. I'll be so excited if you send me hate mail. Like If you disagree with everything I say and you're like, you're like, Death strange is the worst game I've ever played. How You're so dumb, you think it's deep. Like Yeah, tell me. I'd yeah. love to know. And I'd love to hear your shitty, stupid opinions. And if you title your
2: email Talking Simulator in reference to our podcast... Pretty good joke. I like it. But mostly because I wrote it first. So now you'd be lame if you used it.
0: Yeah, if you use it now, I'll dox you.
2: Anyway, thanks for listening.